to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Right. Play, Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Namaste. Wassalamu alaikum. Shalom. Konnichiwa. What is going down? Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo a Wendell Wallace. Senor, senorita. What's happening? Bonjour, bonsoir, Monsieur Mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. I hope everybody is doing great. I hope everybody is being good to one another. I hope everybody is listening and learning from folks who may not look like them, who may have a different skin tone than them, who might be of a different gender, who might be of a different way of thoughts and philosophies. I hope that everybody is doing what they do to bring love, peace, unity, and harmony to the world because, man, do we need it. So I hope everybody is uh, bringing those good vibes. First time this week in a while that uh, this weekend I'm recording this I'm recording this on a Friday afternoon, early afternoon, just got through substitute teaching. Great bunch of kids over at the uh, school over in the northeast section of town. Wonderful. Had a wonderful day. So I'm pumped up, ready to go. I'd like to thank those kids for giving me those good vibes and giving me those positive thoughts and feelings right now for me to do this, to bring the energy. I thank you very much to those wonderful young people. But um, so I'm recording this on a Friday afternoon. And I'm just thinking to myself this weekend, man, what exactly am I going to do? I'm going to watch my Georgetown Hoyers. I'm going to watch some NBA basketball and watch a little college basketball. But I've, I've got to do something else as far as constructive is concerned. What am I going to be doing here? Have to clean up the town home a little bit. Have to maybe go ahead and run out, do do a few errands, get some fresh air, all those type of things. Maybe go up to Mount Charleston, walk around a little bit. But got to do something in terms of giving off good vibes. And uh, because I'm not going to be insulated in my house uh, all day, Saturday and Sunday, watching football. It's like, man, you know what? I might not have any kids. And I don't might might not be in a relationship right now. But for those who are, man, spend a little time. Spend a lot of time this weekend instead of watching football. We can't because there is no football. But the time that you would usually spend watching college and pro football, man, spend that time with your husband. Spend that time with your wife. Spend that time with your girlfriend. Spend that time with your kids. Spend that time with someone you love. Because in terms of moving this world in a better place, good vibes and all those type of things. It's all about having good vibes. It's all about having positivity. It's all about bringing that joy and happiness, but not pain. I'm not Frankie Beverly amazed here, but joy, happiness, and not pain. That's what it's all about when you're spending time with those that you love so much. So, I mean, spend some time with those folks instead of watching football. Spend the three hours, the six hours, the nine hours that you dedicate towards football this weekend Go ahead and spend that with the one you love so we can spread those uh, that, that good karma, so we can spread those good cheers, so we can sp- spread those good feelings around. Contagious, man. Just like the virus is contagious in a negative way. Love, peace, happiness, unity, positivity, those things are um, contagious also. 
So sometimes it ain't about throwing bombs. Sometimes it ain't about yelling and screaming into a microphone talking about we need this and we need that and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It ain't all about marching and protesting sometimes to move this world into a better place. Sometimes it's just as easy as saying, you know what? Hey, I'm going to take the one that I love and I'm going to go for a drive. I'm going to go out and just spend some quality time and let them know how I feel and let them know how important they are to my life and uh, how lucky I am that uh, we have this relationship. So sometimes it's just all about that, man. And you'll be surprised if we start doing those type of things. And I'm not, once again, I'm not talking about a mate. You could do that with your kids. You could do that with your best friend. You could do that with a pet. You can do that with uh, anybody. So, you know, anybody that you feel comfortable doing that with. So my deal is like, you know, we start doing those type of things, man. Woo-wee! This world can be moving in a much, much better direction. So there you go. There you go. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So on the podcast today, let's get into some NBA basketball. First thing that I'm going to be talking about on the podcast, well, the first thing I'm going to be talking about on the podcast, that's the main topic that I want to be speaking about uh, is the uh, NBA and exactly what are they going to be doing with the COVID? Uh, is the league going to plow through the season despite the presence of COVID? Uh, 22 games have been postponed so far this season, a quarter of the way through the season. 21 games coming in January. Of course, the season started in late December. My Washington Wizards, and when I say my Washington Wizards, I'm not, I don't own the team, but my Washington Wizards are being a, being a huge fan of theirs, being from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. The Wiz went through two weeks without playing a game because of COVID-19-related issues. They had their previous six games postponed because they did not have enough eligible players due to the league's COVID-19 protocols. So you speak about that. And then 14s, Boston, Dallas, Miami, Philadelphia. Each have at least four players currently sitting out due to the league's health and safety protocols. We don't know these guys in terms of who has COVID, who was around someone who had COVID, who was around someone who might have COVID. So those type of things. So, you know, from day to day, game to game, we, we don't know. We we really don't know in terms of who's going to be playing, who's available, and how long they're going to be out, and when they're going to be available again, not just with players, but also with teams. So what will the league do? If things get worse concerning the uh, pandemic, are we going to go back to uh, bubble a situation? <laughs> I'm like, the players are like, fuck, no. What are the chances that the league is going to postpone this season again? And not, not, not mention, I didn't say cancel. I said postpone just in case things get a lot worse. And it was some of the way that we're, uh, you know, living our lives thinking that, you know, I'll just wait till the vaccine comes around and I'll just be, uh, you know, doing my thing. So wearing masks and so, you know, listening to those who know what they're talking about concerning this virus. Uh, you know what? We've been cooped up and we've been um, shackled in terms of living our life the way we want to live. We've been, you know, we've been under those conditions long enough. Fuck that shit. I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to start doing what I need to do. Well, if that's going to be the attitude, well, then guess what? Yeah, you really have to sit there and think about, damn, are we going to have to uh, go through this all over again, even with a vaccine, especially the way it's been sketchy in terms of exactly what the blueprint, what the game plan is going to be, how realistic, how unrealistic it is for uh, this vaccine to take place to a point where these things aren't going to be needed, these things aren't going to be discussed in terms of bubbles and cancellations and postponements and COVID-related issues and, and those type of things. So we'll see. We'll see. 
And also, I want to talk about the players. Are they going to be open to taking the vaccine? I mean, and really, should there be a mandate from the league to have the players take the vaccine? I mean, it would have to be collectively bargained, so you can throw that out the window. But I, I think in a situation like this, and look, I understand, man, me being a black man, I understand when it comes to the government and vaccines and all these types of things, uh, you know, I can understand why black folks, the black community is a little bit hesitant. But I always keep saying this when they talk about shit. I ain't taking that fucking vaccine, motherfucker. You see that Tuskegee experiment and all that shit? Hey, man, you know what I'm going to do? I live out here in Vegas, right? One of the richest areas in Las Vegas is a uh, community or a neighborhood. It's called Summerlin. I mean, that's where all the, uh, not all of them, but that's where the majority of rich folks live, especially if you're speaking about on the north side of town where I live, northwest side of town where I live, and you want to go somewhere where it's the richest, you go up to the uh, 900, no, 9,000 blocks of Flamingo and and um, and uh, Tropicana and those areas. That's where all the rich folks hang out. I want to find out where them folks are taking the virus. Where are them folks getting, or where are those folks getting the vaccine? That's the line I want to be in. I mean, damn, I hate to say it. I ain't going to be taking the vaccine in West Las Vegas. No. The historical neighborhood of West Las Vegas where all the black folks live in the uh, area, shall I say, is a um, lower income. No, 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 no. If those folks are concerned about the government are screwing us over because they don't like black folks or anything like that. Cool. All right. You know what we do? We go ahead and we go up to Summerlin and we wait in line, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with the rich white folks. Because you know they ain't going to do no bullshit with them. So let's get in line with them. And that can just quell all of your ill at ease about taking this uh, vaccine. And it's the same thing. Hey, man, if you're concern in LA about doing it, man, go up to Beverly Hills and take and get in line with them folks. Because you know the government ain't going to be doing some bullshit to, to uh, old rich men, white folks, especially go to a place that's highly Republican, highly Republican, highly white and highly rich and get in line and take the, take the uh, vaccine with those guys. I guarantee you, you won't have any problems. So, you know, we have this distrust about taking this vaccine, certain parts of our country, the communities in this country, because of their their history of the way they treat us. I think it would be fantastic for the NBA players. I think it would be fantastic for a lot of the black athletes and the white athletes, because it's not just black folks who are ill at ease when it comes to the government doing things with us in terms of, oh yeah, let's try this vaccine. It'll uh, take care of that. Anybody in this situation who might be a little squeamish about uh, taking this uh, vaccine. Hey, man, you know what? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Greg Popovich, there's been some other high-profile folks who have, uh, taking, who have taken this virus in other, uh, in, in other uh, industries, in other walks of life. I mean, we need the LeBron James. We need the Kevin Durant. We need these guys to say, hey, you know what? I'm taking the vaccine, and guess what? I don't know if you know, during a regular season, I know that these guys can't do this, but you know, somehow, some way, let LeBron James' organization, let uh, um, uh, Kevin Durant's, Chris Paul's, uh, Jalen Brown's organizations, foundations, or whatever, let's 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 organize in terms of getting this done. And I think the way to do that, to lead that, would be to have these athletes go ahead and do that. But these athletes want their cakes and cake and eat it too. You know, they want to have 
certain freedoms, and the NBA is like, well, no, you can't do that because we're trying everything that we can to go ahead and try to uh, mitigate the spread of this uh, virus so games won't be postponed and, and all those type of things. I understand some of the trepidation. I, I understand some of the frustration that these players have concerning some of the new protocols that have been put into place, but wouldn't it be easier for those guys to get vaccinated so some of those things could be can be moot in terms of what they can and can't do. And it's, it's not about jumping the line or anything like that. It's just when you take their turn, when you take your turn. Because as I mentioned before, in poor areas, in areas of color, I mean, we ain't rushing to uh, get those vaccines. So it's like, if you need a little push, let uh, some of these athletes go ahead and get that vaccine. If uh, you know, athletes have that sway, and have that impact that they have on society. I mean, shit, every time an athlete messes up, you always hear these motherfuckers talk about, uh, these folks who want to criticize always talk about, hey, these guys are role models, and these young kids look after, you know, look uh, look up to them, and all these type of things. So how dare you get uh, pulled over for driving drunk, or how dare you uh, get uh, charged with a crime or anything like that when you have such an impact on the youth of America? Well, okay, so let's turn that situation into a positive in terms of it that they have so much impact show Drew Holiday show Giannis show Luca show uh Tom Brady show uh, Drew Brees show all these guys getting their shots so it can appease some of the folks who are like I don't know I don't know I don't know but as I mentioned before I think the league should mandate it but then again as I mentioned before the player to be like fuck no if I'm the owner Anything that I can do to uh, save money, I'm doing. But if I'm Chris Paul and Michelle Roberts, no one's telling me what to do in that case. So some folks, it's not even about the government. Some folks just don't believe in vaccines, regardless of race, gender, whatever. So it's a difficult situation. A lot of uh, a lot of it's a gray area in it. So we'll we'll see what's happening moving forward. But I'm going to discuss that today. On the podcast, should there be a mandatory vaccine for these players um, in the NBA? The biggest trade so far of the year, as we've been talking about, as you've been listening to from not just my podcast, but other podcasts has been the James Harden trade from Houston to Brooklyn. Well, it's not like, whoo, that's over. So uh, let's concentrate on the games because now trade talks, trade rumors, and all those type of things of any consequence. That's all. That, that's done with. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow your roll, sunshine. After James Hard, the players talked about most that could be traded and have some type of impact moving forward in the immediate future are the Washington Woodsets guard Bradley Beal and Philadelphia 76ers point forward Ben Simmons. What player between those two were speaking about Beal or Simmons? Which team should be more <laughs> enthusiastic, should be more, more motivated to trade their player? And which player do you think is more valuable to a team? And what should the value with the trade package be for a player like Bradley Beal or uh, Ben Simmons? If you're taking a look at what uh, Jeru Holiday got this offseason, what Paul George got uh, the couple of years before, what uh, James Harden. Uh, received in terms of uh, value uh, that uh, Houston got in trading him to the Brooklyn Nets. So that type of thing I'll briefly get into, reviewing the first quarter of the NBA season, teams that have played well or up to expectations or exceeded them, 
both LA teams along with the uh, Philadelphia 76ers and Utah Jazz. Very impressive. The Jazz have won nine in a row as I'm recording this now. Does that make them like the favorites? Does that make them better than the Lakers who, you know, I mean, played at, played at the uh, played at Detroit uh, last night and lost. All right, whatever, man. I get those guys for going at maybe 40% caring, long day, long season, whatever. But uh, is Utah for real? Go ahead and discuss that. Teams that have disappointed so far, Portland, Dallas, New Orleans. I've got some stuff about Zion and Lonzo Ball that I want to discuss in terms of New Orleans being so disappointing. But Portland's been underwhelming. Dallas, Lucas shooting nine three-pointers three pointers a game and shooting a 27% clip somewhere around there. They've been disappointing. The Miami Heat because of injury, because of COVID, they've been disappointing. And the Wizards have been disappointing in every way, shape, and form. Russell Westbrook, I mean, if you take a look, should I say it? You think I should say, say this? You know what I'm going to say, right? If you take if you take into account the contract that Russell Westbrook has and how poorly he's playing and how the Wizards now are kind of handicapped and the fact that, goodness gracious sakes alive, Tommy Shepard, you gave away a first-round pick. And you throw all of those things into the recipe, uh, the what what it comes out to is that Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook might be, I don't, I don't know what the word he might. I don't want to say he might be the worst player in the league, but he might be the uh, biggest albatross in the league for a franchise as far as the player is concerned. You ain't going to trade him. What are you going to do with Bradley Beal? If you trade Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook was traded because of his enthusiasm to want to play with Bradley Beal. So if you play, if you trade Bradley Beal, you got a guy who has two years left after this season, two years left and about, I don't know, 40-something million dollars left on his contract. He's untradeable. His skills is declining by the minute. He's going to be stuck on a team which, which is going to be ridiculously terrible. What do you do? So as you're rebuilding, you can only rebuild so much because A, Houston has control of your picks. Now, thank goodness that um, the Wizards are lottery protected in terms of that pick, that first round pick. But for the most part, there's only a certain amount of ways that you can negotiate trying to get yourself back to being respectable, free agency, draft, and all those type of things. But when you have a Russell Westbrook, basically a player that you can't trade for another two years, or if you do trade him, you're just going to get back instant garbage, which is going to slow down the improvement of your team. What do you do? What do you do? So I think for all of those scenarios, so what, so what, so what the scenarios that are involved concerning this? Yeah, man, I think Russell Westbrook might be the worst player in the NBA for a team right now. That's right. I said it. Sorry, Russ. That's the way it is. So those are some of the things that I want to discuss. Who's been the best player in the world so far in the NBA? Who do you think? It's either LeBron or Embiid, right? Nah, man, it ain't Donovan Mitchell. Stop. It ain't it ain't Nikola Jokic either. Stop. I'll tell you another guy who came in who should be considered strongly so far. Kevin Durant. He's played really well. But I think the two main guys so far are LeBron and Joel Embiid. So we'll go ahead and discuss that. And if that's not enough, man, no wonder my podcast lasts so damn long. All right, we'll be discussing this, we'll be discussing this, we'll be discussing this, we'll be discussing this. Damn, motherfucker, you can't say some of this shit for later? No, I gotta give it all to y'all in one podcast, baby. 
But we will end the podcast, last but not least, discussing the loves of my life, the Georgetown Hoyas. Yes, they are back in action this Saturday. Woohoo! They will play Providence on CBS. Ian Eagles will be calling the game, so there's something. Ian and Clark Kellogg, so there's there's something right there. Um, Tip-off time is going to be 1 o'clock. I don't know if it's 12 to 1. I saw one uh, one was saying that it's going to be at noon. The other one said it's going to be at 1 o'clock. I don't know, but Georgetown, 3 and 8, 1 and 5 in the Big East. They've been on a COVID-related pause since January 13th with four postponements. Georgetown last played at Syracuse on January 9th and lost 74-69. Again, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, something that they're very good at. As I mentioned before, if there was a team that was Final Four caliber in terms of choking, in terms of having no idea how to win basketball games and having no basketball cue whatsoever, Georgetown would be a number one seed. I think Georgetown might be a number three seed in that regard. I mean, they would be the number one seed in the South region in terms of teams with absolutely zero poise and zero idea how to close games. They are truly elite. They are the Gonzaga basketball of uh, of choking. My Georgetown Hoyas. Gotta love those guys, but I'm gonna be with them. I'm gonna stay with them. I'm, I'm not leaving them. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. They have got me. They have got me under their skin. But uh, So I'm looking forward. I know they're probably gonna lose at home, but I'm looking forward to watching them play. And as I mentioned before, it ain't all about wins or losses for me. It's all about improvement. So, the more more than anything on Saturday, I'm just going to be looking at any of the uh, quote-unquote players of the future, a.k.a. our freshmen, have they gotten any better? And if America's coach, Patrick Ewing, are they going to give them, If are they going? is he going to give them any time? Please, please, come on, man. I mean, Dante Harris is going to get his minutes. Jalen Harris is... I don't think he's back yet, but so Dante's going to get 25 to 35 regard, regarding, uh, uh, depending upon how the game goes. But man, can we please see a little bit more of Jabari Sibley? Can we please see a little bit more of TJ Berger? Please? Please? I mean, shit. I mean, we could even throw in Colin Holloway for a few moments. Can we Can we get some moments from Kobe Clark? Please? Please? I mean, do we have to see Chudier Bile play another 15 to 20 minutes a game? Can't those, can't that time be allocated toward the freshman coach? I know you're trying to win. We're three and eight. We're one and five. We're no good. We're not making the tournament. It's all about next season. Please, please, coach. You know a lot more about your team. You know a lot more about these players. You know a lot more about basketball in every way, shape, and form than I'll ever know. But please, just please. And I'm not asking TJ. And I'm not asking um, Sibley. I'm not asking Colin Holloway. I'm not asking for Malcolm Wilson. I'm not asking for Kobe Clark. I'm not asking for these guys to play 30 to 35 minutes. I'm not. I'm really not. But, man, we can't find... Five to eight minutes for Malcolm Wilson. We can't find eight to 12 minutes for TJ Berger. We can't find five to 10 minutes for uh, Kobe Clark. We can't find something like that. Anything? Anything? We have to play Jabari. We have to play uh, Javon Blair 40 minutes. We really, I mean, we can't instead play him 35 and give five of those minutes to TJ. We have to play. Cutest Wahab, I mean, he doesn't play 40 to 35 minutes anyway because he's always getting in foul trouble. But, I mean, can we play Cutest 30 to 32 minutes and give Malcolm maybe two to five minutes of the time instead of uh, going with 35 minutes for Cutest? We, we can't cut down Jamarco's pit minutes from 35 to 40. We, we can't give 
three or four of those minutes to uh, Jabari Sibley, an extra minute or two in the rotation, maybe throwing Colin Holloway, maybe throwing a Kobe Clark. We can't, we can't do that. I don't know. Again, I'm not in practice. I don't know these guys. I don't know basketball like Coach Ewing. I'm not trying to tell the man how to run his team. I'm not. It would just be, just be nice. It would just be nice. I don't care if we finish the season three and fifty-five, man. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. But as I keep mentioning before, the one thing that just drives me up the wall without a license concerning Coach Ewing, the one thing is that is allocation of minutes. One game, the freshman, a freshman's playing ten minutes. Another game, he's playing no minutes. Then the next game, he plays fifteen minutes. And then the next game, he plays three minutes. And then the next game, he doesn't play at all. And it's like, man, what the flippity floop is going on here? But I will save all that for the end of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, let's go ahead and begin the podcast in earnest because there's something very, very, very important that I want to talk about. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Something that I want to uh, talk about. I don't know what the expiration date on this is, but uh, I want to talk about this. Ex-Seattle Seahawks offensive tackle Chad Wheeler was charged following a domestic violence arrest. Uh, This is a report from TMZ Sports. It said prosecutors have formally charged Wheeler with three criminal charges, including assault in the first degree over the alleged attack. Officials say they charged the 27-year-old with one count of first-degree domestic violence assault, one count of domestic violence unlawful imprisonment, and one count of resisting arrest. Now, in court documents, the prosecutor said the defendant, by the way, who's uh, six foot seven and weighs 310 pounds, strangled, suffocated and beat the victim into unconsciousness, not once, but twice, both times leaving her for dead and blood poured from her nose and mouth and onto her stomach and lungs. 
The woman says she lost consciousness, and when she came to, Chad said, quote, Wow, you're alive. Let me ask you something here. I'm not a prosecutor. I'm not an attorney. I have I've never been charged with any of these type of things. I've never done any of these types of things. But let me ask you something. How is someone who basically tried to murder somebody being only charged with one count of first-degree domestic violence, one count of domestic violence, unlawful imprisonment, and one count of resisting arrest? Okay, resisting arrest, one thing, but first-degree domestic violence assault? That wasn't just a domestic violence assault. That was an attempted murder. This man tried to murder her on the fact that she woke up and the guy looked at her and said, wow, you're still alive, which means the intent was that he was trying to kill her. Again, I, I'm not a prosecutor. I don't know the law. I don't know the law in King County up there in Seattle. I don't, I don't know. I've never been to a law class. I don't know. Right now, I'm just playing the lawyer on this podcast. But doesn't that sound like doesn't that sound like attempted murder to you? <sighs> Goodness fucking sakes alive. So prosecutors say Wheeler is due back in court next month for an arrangement hearing where he's suspected to enter a plea. I'm quite sure the money that he has, the lawyers that he can obtain, I'm quite sure they're looking at, they're looking at some reduced charge and some type of financial settlement for, settlement for the woman. So Wheeler was booked in the King County Jail early Saturday morning and released Tuesday morning after posting $400,000 bail bonds. Too bad no one shanked him or did something violent to him while he was in prison from Saturday morning till the time that he was arrested, Interest, or the time that he was released. Interesting that he was even released. $400,000 bail bond. I believe that the judge wanted it to be 500000 or somebody wanted it to be 500000 but the judge was like, nah, 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 let's just say 400000 and he was also ordered to have no contact with the woman and to surrender any weapons. That motherfucker is a weapon. That guy didn't need to, uh, that guy tried to kill her. He didn't need a gun. He didn't need a knife. He didn't need a baseball bat. He didn't need a weapon. His fucking hands were a weapon. The fact that he's six foot fucking seven and weighs 310 fucking pounds and the fact that she's five nine and weighs 145 pounds. What weapon do, what weapon would you need? He is a fucking weapon. And he's a goddamn dangerous fucking weapon because he tried to do it before. Chad Wheeler's girlfriend, this is what she told the police. She said that he had stopped taking his medication for bipolar disorder. Oh, brilliant. In the days before he brutally attacked her and has slept and has snapped into a bad place on the night of the incident. So again, I'm not a lawyer, but he has stopped taking his medication for bipolar disorder in the day before he brutally attacked her and snapped into a bad place on the night of the incident which means that he knows that this is something where he needs to be medicated to keep these things under control so he should be aware that if he doesn't take his medication that something like this could have happened so the fact that he decided not to take his medication, not because he ran out, not because uh, someone stole it from him, not because you know, time just he just forgot because he's dealing with the early stages of CTE, none of that nonsense. He knew that taking medication, he knew that not taking medication for bipolar disorder could lead to something violent. Chances, I don't know, maybe it's small, maybe it's slim, but yet still nothing positive was going to come out of him not taking his medication for bipolar disorder. 
So in doing so, he is negligent. For in doing so, he is responsible. So in doing so, I don't want to hear some bullshit by saying that he was out of sight, out of mind when he went ahead and do this because he was off his medication. It doesn't fucking mean anything. Doesn't mean that's the same bullshit where they were talking about, well, you know, as a kid, he was uh, beat up as by his parents, so that's the reason why he had to go ahead and kill 15 females. So because of that, let's, you know, say boo-hoo and explain and excuse his action in some, in some form. No! No! This guy knew. Just, just like Jeffrey Dahmer. When Jeffrey Dahmer was murdering people, he did it on the weekend because it would take him a couple of days to get rid of all the evidence and cut up people and put these guys into his freezer. He knew that he would go ahead and get drunk because that's the only way he would get up the nerve to go to these gay bars and act these gay black men to go back to his place for pictures where he would drug them, strangle them, and then dismember them. So that motherfucker knew what he was doing. He knew all this type of thing. So he planned in advance. Same thing, I'm sorry, in some regard to Chad Wheeler. Chad Wheeler should know, should have known, that something negative, something heinous would have happened if he did not take his bipolar uh, medication. Maybe he didn't feel, you know, I'll just go a little nuts and I'll just be in a dark place and I'll start crying and this, that, the other. Maybe he felt that, you know what, by not taking this medication, I'll only be hurting myself. Motherfucker, you're living with somebody in your house for six fucking months. Seems to me from the pictures that they showed the before or after pictures, you know, before she got her ass whooped, after she got her ass whooped, while she's lying in the fucking hospital, bloodied, bruised, the before picture showed a very attractive, beautiful young lady. Way kicking out, you know, you, you, you out kicked your coverage on this one, even if you were just a regular guy with no, um, with no mental illness. You should have been treating there like a Nubian queen that she deserved to be. You should have been saying how high when she says jump. You should have been treating her like the queen that she was. I don't know this woman personally, but geez, man. You know, to be treating a woman like this, to be putting her in that kind of danger. And again, even take, being taken off your medication, you decided not to take your medication, that you would in somehow, some way, um, put a negative on her life because of the way that you would act if you were off your medication. Again, even if you thought you wouldn't go to those dark places of wanting to murder somebody, to harm somebody, to physically assault somebody, the fact that you were so, I don't know, it just pisses me off. Again, how did this guy, how is this guy not being charged with attempted murder? It's beyond me. But because he's bipolar, he's suffering from mental illness, so that excuses him in some way. No, any, any, any human being with a brain in their head would sit there and say, look, I'm not saying that this guy needs to be walking the streets and we should give him a slap on the wrist because of what he did and just pass it off to mental illness. Uh, there's got to be some type of punishment. There's got to be some type of consequence for his actions. But... To what varying degree, that's where me and a lawyer and other folks who know this a lot better than I do would start to, uh, would, would have to have a discussion about. Because to me, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Now, if he was on his medication and something like this happened, then okay, he still had to pay for what he did, but someone else has to be sued or someone else has to be, you know, brought to the, um, brought to the, uh, the, the heed what exactly happened here. Someone had to also bear responsibility.
John Wayne Gacy gets out of Iowa in a prison, goes up to Chicago and murders 30-something boys and girls or murders, murders uh, 30 teenage boys when he was in Iowa for raping a kid. The psychiatrists were like, hey, man, don't let this guy out. This guy's a psychopath. If you do this, if you let him out, it ain't going to be good. I'm telling you this right now. And the Iowa penal system was like, no, nah, we're cool. See you later, John. Take it easy. Be good. Remember the lessons that we taught you in uh, prison class about controlling your anger and controlling your uh, controlling your urges to uh, murder, murder boys. We're good. We're fine. So Iowa was like, fuck it. Let him go. And he went up to Chicago and Gatesy did what he did. Same thing if Chad Wheeler was on his medication and he did this, then other than Chad Wheeler, somebody else would also have to take responsibility for these actions. But just absolutely flipping unbelievable. How about that? I threw in I threw in John Wayne Gacy and uh, who else did I throw in there as far as serial, serial killers is concerned? Wow, how did I get there? Okay, but according to the police report, um, the woman said that Chad had been in a rough week and had a manic episode this evening and said it was not provoked by any argument of any sort. Goodness grace sakes alive. The woman said Chad snapped into a dark place out of nowhere and told her to bow to him, which she refused. And that's when he beat her up. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, he wasn't on his medication. I don't give a flying fuck, man. I don't care. I don't care. No one, no female, no human being outside of a child molester, murderer, killer of elderly women, someone who would take advantage of a, of a child or a disabled person or something like that. No one deserves a beatdown like that. No one deserves to get their ass kicked like that, let alone a female like this, or let alone any female who's just minding her business and doing her own thing. No one deserves to get their ass kicked like that. Fuck that bullshit, man. I don't want to hear some nonsense about medication, medication, bipolar, medication, mental illness. I don't want to hear that shit. Okay, let's go ahead and address his mental illness. Let's go ahead and see if we can get him some help for mental illness while he's spending the next 30 to 40 years in fucking prison. A, he'll have a plenty of time to get uh, remedied for his illness, understand what he did, come to grips and come to terms. And second of all, he'll be in prison for the next 30 years, so there won't be any cases or there won't be any uh, there won't be any examples of him losing it, falling off the wagon, all those type of things. Feel much better if this guy was, after what this guy did, medication or no medication, this guy belongs in either a cage or a grave after what he did. Because if someone else was there and he was doing this type of shit to her, someone should have taken a gun or a weapon and put it up to his head and put a bullet in his brain. The woman, the woman called 911 from inside a locked bathroom. This is after she came to after being choked. And, and, and he was like, wow, you're still alive? Or you're still, you know, you're still here? So obviously the woman was like, gee, this guy's going to try to finish the job. So he, she ran into the uh, bathroom, locked it, and called the police and said that she had been killed. Which she was. The guy was attempting to murder her. She told Kim police... She fled into the bathroom after Wheeler threw her onto a bed and choked her long enough for her to lose consciousness. At one point, she said, he removed one hand, stuck it down her throat, and pressed it against her nose and mouth to try to stop her from breathing. 
while continuing to choke her with his other hand. Again, I... Tell me how this is not attempted murder. Tell me how this is not attempted murder. Right now, stop. Stop. I'm going to stop just for a second. All right? Imagine this happened to your daughter. Imagine this happened to your wife. Imagine this happened to your sister. What would your thoughts and feelings be right now? If your daughter called you from a locked bathroom and said, Daddy, my boyfriend, Chad, is trying to kill me. He choked me until I lost consciousness. When I awoke, he looked at me and said, you're still alive. During the beatdown that he gave me, Daddy, or Dad, Father, whatever, he stuck his hand down my throat and pressed it against my nose and mouth to try to stop me from breathing while continuing to choke me with his other hand. And Dad, you know Chad, he's six foot seven, 310 pounds. What would you do? What would you do? Would you sit there and say, well, you know, was he on his medication? If not, you know, hang in there. Or, you know, please understand. Or, hey, you know. Or would you say, I've got my gun. I'm going over there and I'm going to end this one way or the other. Maybe you're not. Maybe you say, you know what? Call the police, do what you need to do. I'll call the police, do something, this, that, and the other. But if someone's response, a father, a husband, a brother, if your response is, yeah, I'm going to get a gun. I'm going to get my gun. I'm going to find somebody who has a gun. I'm going to get a weapon and I'm going to go over there and I'm going to fucking kill him before he fucking kills you. Put me on that jury. Not guilty. Shit, that motherfucker even wouldn't be arrested. Justifiable homicide. Don't give a damn. A man to do that to a woman. Don't give a damn. Don't give a damn what the color of the man is. Don't give a damn what the color of the woman is. Don't give a damn who that person is. Don't give a damn who that woman is. Don't give a damn what that woman did to him. Don't care. Outside of harming someone's family. Don't care what the woman did to him. Don't care about his mental illness. Don't care about what happened to him when he was a child. Don't care about how much he was abused. Don't care about anything like that. Don't care what he did. If he did that to my goddaughter, he's fucking dead. He's fucking dead. He's fucking dead. Fuck you. And if I didn't get him first, his father certainly would uh, beat me to it. But if someone did that to my goddaughter, he's fucking dead. Period. I don't own a gun. I hate guns. I'm scared of guns. But in this instance, I'm going to use it. Wouldn't that, uh, wouldn't you feel the same way? Wouldn't you have those emotions? Again, I'm taking myself and putting myself in, putting myself in this scenario right now. Someone was doing that to someone I love. Someone that I cared about. And, and, and please don't tell me I'm being mellowed, overdramatic and all this kind of bullshit. Because again, put yourself in that situation. 
someone was doing that to your sister. Someone was doing that to your daughter. Someone was doing that to your wife. Someone was doing that to your mother. What would you do? How would you feel? Well, you know, he's on medication, but you know, other than that, he's a great guy. So, you know, hey, let's just, uh, you know, let him, let him loose on bail and let him get help. And hopefully he won't do this to another female. Is that what you're going to be thinking? Is that what you're going to be thinking at that moment? How is this not attempted murder? How is this not attempted murder? King County, how is this not attempted murder? Wendell's World in Sports, speaking about what's going down with this bullshit here. So Chad Wheeler broke his silence this past Wednesday, said he's deeply sorry and truly ashamed and blamed the entire incident on a manic episode. No, motherfucker. Don't be blaming that bullshit on a manic episode. That's lawyer talk right there, man. That is fucking lawyer talk right there. The entire incident on a manic episode... No, it was blame the entire incident on your irresponsibility not to take your fucking medication. Don't give me some bullshit about some manic episode. Like, I was just sitting around, chilling, minding my own business, and all of a sudden, manic episode came into me and started controlling me to where I wanted to murder my the female that I was in a relationship for six months. It took over my brain. It took over my hands. It took over my body. took over my soul like, like the devil got into me. The devil's been inside you, man. The devil's part of you, man. You have the responsibility to control that devil inside of you, and you didn't. So don't blame this bullshit on a manic episode. No. Blame the entire incident on you, because you're the one that caused this. You're the one that's going to now scar this woman for the rest of her fucking life, man. Even if she comes through all of this, which I God hope she does, she's never going to be the same person, man. You took so much away from her from that attack. You understand that? Deeply sorry and truly ashamed and blames the incident on in a manic, a manic episode? Fuck you, Chad. Fuck you. That's what he, he also tweeted. Events happened over the weekend that transpired from a manic episode. I am deeply sorry for the pain and suffering that I have caused to the victim and her family. He continued by saying, I apologize profusely for the turmoil that I have caused to my family, T-Bates fans, and those closest to me. The most important thing right now is that the victim gets the care that she needs and I get help. No, motherfucker, you need jail time. Both are happening. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that Chad's getting the help that he needs? Oh, thank goodness gracious. Are we going to try to just throw this off as a one-off? That, you know what, hey, the shit happened out of left field, didn't know it was coming, but I'm getting help now, so that's not going to happen again. On top of that, I'm also truly sorry, and I apologize profusely, and I'm deeply hurt. So, hey, there we go. I'm, I'm you know, let, let's kind of, let's just kind of nullify, or let's just kind of bring down the uh, punishment or the consequences of my action, because after all, it was a one-time deal, it was a manic episode, I apologize profusely, and I'm getting the help that's that I need. Well, in that case, goodness gracious, thanks a lot, man. There you go. Let's just, uh, you know, kind of plea bargain and do all these other things. And, you know, we'll do some community service. And, uh, you know, Chad Wheeler, he's not a big enough name to go on any of the real shows like uh, Oprah. Or, uh, Oprah doesn't have a show. But what I'm talking about, he doesn't have the uh, platform. This is not a person of a big enough stature to uh, go to any of the uh, major networks or go on to any of the uh, talking shows and, you know, do the old, I apologize and I'm sorry and this is horrible and the female gets, calls him a cad and 
you're horrible and what you did is terrible and he cries and she cries and the audience cries and he oh I'm, I'm I'm turning my life around and this is terrible and this will haunt me for the rest of my life and I've learned from this and I'm getting help and I've learned my lesson and you know I'll, I'll, yeah, the, the whole playbook when people when celebrities when public figures mess up you go on Ellen you go especially if it's a if it's a man who does something regarding a woman domestic violence cheating whatever the first thing they do they have to go to a uh, talk show where there's a woman of prominence, used to be Oprah, but you go to a woman of prominence on a, on a talk show, a morning, afternoon, mid-afternoon talk show, where the audience is mainly filled with women, and you just go ahead and you just take it. You go there, you know the playbook, you go there and you let the uh, woman, you know, cast, you know, you know, sit there and criticize and call you bad names, but also... Uh, you know, talk about how you need to get help and how you need to do this and how can you do this and this is terrible and the female audience gives you mean looks and shakes their head and rolls their eyes and some of them cry, a lot of them cry and then the women in the audience, they get up and they tell their story about how they were victims of domestic abuse also and this is horrible and this is terrible and you need to do better and you need to get help and I'll pray for you and all this type of bullshit. You know, Chad Wheeler is not of that type of stature. So someone like an Ellen or someone like that wouldn't have them because that just that's not going to move the needle in terms of people's interest. So you know he's going to have to I don't know whatever I don't I don't think he's going to be playing football anymore. So he can't even go to the local station. He can't go to the local talk shows. He can't even go to the local media and do his. I'm sorry. This is horrible. This is terrible. All this type of stuff. Even though we don't know if he's going to be picked up. I don't know that for sure. As I mentioned before, he's a backup offensive tackle. Tackle, as he's an NFL. Well, he was an NFL player of really no consequence. So for the NFL, this could be a good PR move for them to be like, see, we're not letting him back in the league. Yeah, I told you, we're getting serious about domestic violence. You see what Chad Wheeler did? We're not letting him back in the league. Well, okay, you know Chad Wheeler. Okay, well, who's Chad Wheeler? All right, nice try. So I apologize profusely for the turmoil that I caused my family, teammates, friends, and those closest to me. Here's another thing that really pisses me off. When these guys talk about the turmoil that I caused teammates, fans. What 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 uh turmoil did you cause your teammates? What what turmoil did you cause Russell Wilson? Or Pete Carroll or any of those guys? I mean, maybe some of the friends on your, on your team are disgusted by your actions, but this is not affecting Russell Wilson in any type of way. This is not affecting any of his teammates. You're not causing Russell Wilson any turmoil. turmoil. Russell Wilson isn't, you know, having sleepless nights because of this. The relationship that he has with his wife, that's not being, that's not being um, impacted because of what you did. And for the fans, why are you apologizing to the fans? You You didn't choke or bring any... Uh, you didn't try to kill any of the fans. You didn't do this to any of the fans. So why are we talking about the fans? The people you need to uh, apologize profusely to is your family and your the family of the woman that you choked and tried to kill and those closest to her family and your family. Other than that, man, I don't need I don't need your fucking apology. You haven't caused me any turmoil in my life. You haven't reshaped the way that I think about the way I interact and treat women. 
So why are you apologizing to me? Why are you apologizing to you? Why is he apologizing to you also? Before this, you didn't even know who Chad Wheeler was. So who gives a fuck in terms of what I think and what you think and what everybody else out here thinks? You didn't cause them any harm. You didn't cause them any pain. You didn't cause them any turmoil. Apologize again to your family, to the woman that you killed, almost killed, to her family, to her loved ones, to her closest to them, because those are the ones who are going to be affected. I'm not going to be affected by what you did to this woman. So, and neither are you, and neither are you, and neither are you who's listening to this podcast right now. You guys aren't going to be affected. This doesn't affect your everyday of how you interact with your loved ones because of what Chad Wheeler did. But you know who it's really going to affect? Not just the woman who he almost tried to go, that he almost killed, or almost uh, almost killed. It's going to affect her brother or her family members, her mother and father, her friends. Because those are the ones who are going to be left to pick up the pieces and try to build her back up again. This is the one who's going to, they are the ones, God willing, hopefully, that are going to be by her side after this is over. And it's, it's going to have to deal with what she's going to have to do, the journey that she's going to have to go on to rebuild her life, rebuild her mental, re, rebuild her trust, all those type of things. And man, she's facing some dark days. I've never been the victim of domestic violence, so I don't know. But my guess is by listening to victims of domestic violence that the large majority of these women who go through something like this, it takes them years upon years to finally feel some type of normalcy. And they'll never be that same person again. So this is an injury that the, the scars, the physical scars, yeah, they might heal. But mentally and emotionally, that's never going to go away. That's never going to go away, Chad. You piece of shit motherfucker. That's never going to fucking go away. What you did to her. And those loved ones who truly love her are going to have to be there. Because I don't think she's going to be able to do it alone. Don't know the woman personally. Don't know her situation. But my guess is she's going to need the help of her loved ones and her parents and her family members. And those... Those are going to be the people that are going to be there for her darkest hours and for her darkest moments moving forward. And it's going to be like that for years. So, yeah, Chad, let's leave, leave out your teammates. Leave out the fans. Fuck the fans. Fuck the teammates. All of your energy should be directed toward family of the victim, friends of the victim, and your family members. Because I don't know your background, I don't know your history, but I'm quite sure your mother and father aren't sitting there going, that's my check. So, uh, you know, mm, I hate when those guys do that. Joe Mixon, I remember Cincinnati Bengals when he was drafted and, you know, he was at Oklahoma and he was accused of assaulting a female at a bar and, um... He went to Cincinnati. He had to explain why he was drafted in the second round and why he should be playing for the Bengals and all this type of stuff. And I'm sitting there going, man, why is he explaining all this shit to you? What 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 impact does it have on the media? What does it have on the community of Cincinnati? Now, if he's running around Cincinnati in bars assaulting women, yeah, that should be a red flag. That should be something that uh, needs to be discussed. Uh, yeah, okay. But 
Joe Mixon said he's sorry, he's sorry, he's sorry. I mean, how many times did the man have to say he's sorry? How many times did the man have to say the same old thing to a bunch of people who had no impact on what he did? He should be saying sorry, 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 sorry to the person that he assaulted and to her family members, not to media in Cincinnati. I'm going to go to the better women's shelter of Cincinnati. And man, come on, come on, man. Just play football, score touchdowns. Do what you need to do. Be a good citizen. Stop beating up women and everything will move forward. I want to apologize to the fans. Get out of here. Wheeler also announced he would be stepping away from football and seeking treatment. Oh, okay. Again, to me, it sounds like lawyer talk. It is time for me to walk away from football and get the help I need to never again pose a threat to another. You know what you need to do to never again pose a threat to another? You need to stay in prison until you're about 60. I cannot express my sorrow or remorse enough. I am truly ashamed. If you're this woman and this guy's walking around the streets, are you ever truly free? Do you ever truly feel safe? Again, affecting the life of the victim that he, again, tried to murder. So it's time for me to walk away from football and get help and get the help I need to never again pose a threat to another. I cannot express my sorrow or remorse enough. I am truly ashamed. Again, you should be spending the next 30 to 40 years in prison, my man, trying to figure this out. You can say all the I'm sorry. You know what? You, you every day, you can say I'm sorry to all of your fans and ex-teammates for the next 30, 40 years out there in Walla Walla, the prison out there in Walla Walla. Say hello to Ken Bianchi for me. Is Robert Yates still out there in that Walla Walla? They took his ass, they took his sorry ass off death row. The guy in Spokane who used to kill prostitutes just for the fun of it. They took his punk ass off death row. Maybe maybe, maybe Chad can hang out with those two assholes. And maybe you can see what you can do about putting your hands, your putting your hands around their necks. If you want to start, uh, you know, if you want to start, uh, you know, repaying the public, your fans and the community and others, you know, do us a favor and and choke out and, and uh, take the life away from Robert Yates and um, Kenneth Bianchi. Those motherfuckers have been sitting in prison long enough. Those guys have been breathing air long enough. Should have put Bianchi away years and years and years ago. See Hillside Stranglers. So, yeah. And, they, uh, B- and uh, not BTK. Uh, and um, Gary Ridgway, Green River Killer. Yeah, see if you can find him out there in Walla Walla and, uh, you know, and, and, and do to him what you did to this woman punk ass bitch for what you did unflipping believable so yeah again it'll be interesting to see if this guy gets any jail time again playing in the nfl he has enough money to hire himself a good enough lawyer to where something can happen to where it's like i'm sorry mental illness first time this happened no other instances before this um didn't take his medication came on quick nothing provoked it out of his hands. So I'm quite sure they'll do all this. They'll offer this female a boatload of money. Hopefully generational wealth. And um, he'll get a slap on her wrist. Maybe go ahead and do some community service. And uh, that's my guesstimation. That's going to be my. That's going to be my uh, thoughts and opinions about what's going to happen to him. So I don't know. I don't know. And it's really not a black and white thing. I, I know the next conversation that needs to happen, saw it on Twitter, what if Chad Wheeler was black and he did that to a white woman, you know, what would happen? And there's some valid points made about the difference. 
Oh yeah, where's the mugshot of Chad Wheeler? Where's the news coverage? What happened to ESPN? Why aren't they talking about this? Why aren't they talking about this? They did. They did. Nina Kimes spoke about it. It, it wasn't headline news. It wasn't the uh, number one story. I don't think Van Pelt spent a half an hour talking about it. They didn't bring any domestic uh, violence counselors in to talk about it. Uh, the statement from the Seattle Seahawks was, was weak, but, I mean, what do you want them to say? I mean, we hope that he rots in hell. I mean, again, they do have to go through a trial, innocent until proven guilty. No matter how silly that statement is, in some cases it still applies, especially if you're talking about race, especially if you're talking about class. Chad Wheeler is a guy who, even at the minimum, is making six figures as far as his income is concerned. Don't know how many years he's been in the league, but if he's been in the league a number of years, he's assessed, he's amassed at least close to a bill. So after taxes and everything like that, I'm quite sure. I don't know if he has any type of local endorsement, so I don't know exactly what he has as far as financials are concerned, but he should have enough money not to uh, buy his way out of um, serious or buy his way out of like no type of um, penalties or consequence. But I think that he has enough money too, as I mentioned before, when everything comes down to it, slap on the wrist, she gets paid. He says he's sorry. He quote unquote gets the help that he needs. And first time he's done this, this, that, and the other. So that's probably what's going to happen to him. Would that have happened to a black guy? If he would have choked a white woman? I'm, as I, I appreciate the the thoughts. I ap- appreciate the fact that, yeah, living in this country, the racism that we have in this country, the discrimination that we have in this country, the hypocrisy, the double standard that we have in this country amongst white and black folks. Yeah, I think that question needs to be brought up. But I think when everything is all said and done, I think this had something a little bit more. I don't think it was just something where it was, well, you know, white guy, black guy. If the white guy did this, black guy did that, this, that, and the other. This, that. No, no, I, I don't think that's the case at all. And again, yeah, the mugshot. Yeah, we don't, we didn't have the mugshot. All right, that's true. That's true. That's true. Point for uh, those folks talking about what if Chad Wheeler was black. But the coverage in, when it first happened on ESPN, well, it's Chad Wheeler. It's Chad Wheeler. Anybody know Chad Wheeler? Now, if this happened to, I mean, Tom Brady is too big of a star. But if this happened to a white NFL player of prominence, then, yeah, I think that we would be talking. If this happened, if say if Christian McCaffrey, uh, this happened to Christian McCaffrey, the running back for the Carolina Panthers, would ESPN be talking about this? Would it be on SportsCenter and all those type of things? Yeah, because Christian McCaffrey is a name that people know a little bit about. If this would have happened to a skilled player that more people, who knows the backup offensive lineman? And nobody. I remember when Richie Incognito was uh, his bullshit that he went through with Jonathan Martin. They, they talked about it. ESPN and others talked about it. They were pretty thorough about that. Again, not, not, not to minimize or say, hey, you know what? This has really nothing to do. And you know, that, that, you know, race has nothing to do with blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there, there is some elements of it but not enough for us, the overwhelming factor to be like, well, do you see the double standard? Eh, eh, I don't think so. And of course, people compare it to Ray Rice and Kareem Hunt. Oh yeah, well, you know, this and the other, you see what they did to Ray Rice, they said what they did to Kareem Hunt, blah, 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 you know, those guys were black. What about uh, Chad Wheeler? Why are they uh, not losing their mind about Chad Wheeler? They did about Ray Rice and Kareem Hunt. Well, I mean, first of all, um, nobody should be, you know, 
talking about, you know, Ray Rice only hit his girlfriend, this, that, and the other. So what's the big fucking deal or this, that, and the other? No one should be minimizing what Ray Rice and Kareem Hunt did. But here's the difference between the outrage between Chad Wheeler and Ray Rice and Kareem Hunt. So far, there's no video of Wheeler attempting to murder this woman. Now, compared to what we saw on video regarding Ray Rice and Kareem Hunt, if you're a decent human being, that disgusted you, what you saw with Ray Rice and Kareem Hunt. It's right there on video. It, it, it nauseated and disgusted you, hopefully. There's no video of what um, Chad Wheeler did to his girlfriend. Now, if there was video of what Wheeler did to his girlfriend, I'm quite sure that the outrage and the anger and the disgust would be a lot higher. And also, you got to remember, as far as standing in the NFL is concerned amongst the players or their importance to their franchise, Ray Rice was a really good, he was a pretty good running back for the Baltimore Ravens. Kareem Hunt was a guy who looked like that he was on his way to being one of the better running backs in the league for Kansas City when this went down. Again, this is Chad Wheeler, who no one knows. So if Chad Wheeler, for instance, was a mainstay, a starting offensive lineman for the Seattle Seahawks, a, a name that of, of any type of prominence, and then you saw, on top of the increased notoriety or his public figure being brighter than it is right now, you throw that into the mix of a video of him doing this to the female, I'm quite sure this whole situation would be a whole lot different. So I think that's the difference between Ray Rice, Kareem Hunt's situation, and um, and um, Chad Wheeler. There's a lot of folks out there who have been... Um, there's a lot of folks out there in the NFL who have... Uh, I shouldn't say a lot, that's... Not that right. There's been a, a decent number of players in the NFL who have uh, been accused of this. And some of them have been black and we haven't known about it or we've probably forgotten already. And if we, you know, go back in time and memory, we're like, oh yeah, they didn't talk about that, this, that, and the other. Same thing with white folks. I mean, Riley Cooper, this bullshit got a whole bunch of play. Richie Incognito, again, got a whole bunch of play. Um, The kicker for the... um. New York Giants, whose name escapes me right now. He was, you know, going off on his girlfriend or his wife or something like that, and things came out about how he was abusing her. That got a lot of play on ESPN. I remember that. That was years ago. So it's not like I'm not going to accuse ESPN of of seeing the story and saying, ah, fuck these white. Let's throw it under the rug. It's not like he's black or anything like that. I'm not. I'm not going to go there with ESPN. I'm not going to accuse ESPN of that. So that's that's. I'm I'm not going there with that. So, look in 2010, Stephen Jackson. You remember Stephen Jackson, the St. Louis Rams, running back, came out in El Dorado, El Dorado High School. He went to school out here in uh, in uh, Vegas. Went over on the uh, east side of town, El Dorado, good school. He was uh, of the St. Louis Rams. He was accused of beating up his girlfriend while she was nine months pregnant with his child. You remember? Do you remember that? Of course not. His former girlfriend said that Jackson forcibly grabbed his her arm, flung her across the floor, repeatedly pushed her to the ground. Then Jackson took Harris to the hospital and told her to tell the doctors that she had fallen in the shower. Well, Jackson, after that, played four more years with St. Louis and another year with uh, New England. Chad Wheeler is going to be made an example of. 
because they understand that, well, if he was black type of syndrome, the NFL is aware of that. So this is a good way for the NFL to try to score some PR points, not just with black folks, but also white folks in terms of, see, we don't take any type of bullshit from uh, these players. They don't give a damn what color they are, black or white. When you do this type of bullshit, you're off the team. See, Chad Wheeler, example number one. And throughout the years, Goodell has, um, Goodell has punished some folks to where, some white folks where if the narrative was, you know, well, it, it, Goodell has punished some white ball players um, where if he were black, they'd be like, see, racism, racism, racism. I mean, if Tom Brady was black after deflate gate and he got uh, suspended, I mean, black folks would be losing their mind. You know what? Black folks would be um, talking about double standard. And look, I live in this country, so I understand where they're coming from. Uh, smoke, there's fire, too many examples of this happening. Yes, 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 yes. But, you know, there is some precedent to where you could say for every, you see that if he was black, this would have been like, well, you know, Tom Brady was the golden boy, this, that, and the other. And he got suspended for what, three or four games over some bullshit. <laughs> so, you know, Ben Roethlisberger was suspended four or five games for uh, some bullshit that happened in a club in Georgia. So, you know, I mean, I, I know we like to paint Roger Goodell as this bad guy racist who doesn't care, this, that, and the other. I, you know, I think that uh, I think there's been enough situations, at least in this, to be like, yeah, Wheeler, if he was black, yeah, the discussion needs to be had. Did race play a role in this? Uh, the coverage and everything? So minuscule that I think that the conversation that we should have amongst each other with this should be short. And we should come to the conclusion that not, not enough. It wasn't enough to where... We, it, we should be, you know, screaming, shouting, and everything like that. So, you know, I, I that's that's the thing with me. So, and, and also, I got to say, you know, this outrage about a, a white man hitting a black man, a, a white man hitting a, a, black, a white man hitting a black woman. I'm sorry. I got to call my community out just a little bit, if y'all don't mind. How many people from my community don't care, didn't care, ignored, downgraded, made excuses for people like R. Kelly? what he was doing for years concerning underage women, Floyd Mayweather Jr. How many people still cheer this guy despite the fact that he beat up the mother of his child in front of the child and then threatened the child not to tell anybody? I mean, how many people did we sing, come up here talking about free Mike Tyson when he was in jail for raping Desiree Washington, then blaming Desiree Washington? Like, what are you, what are you doing going to this guy's room at 3 a.m. in the morning? Don't you know, bitch, that guy is Mike fucking Tyson? So the fact that the fact that she should know that Mike Tyson didn't have the norms or the, the decorum or the common sense or the intelligence at that time to if a girl came to his room at 3 a.m. in the morning, that doesn't mean that she's trying, she wants to sleep with them. Or that if they did get into intercourse, if she said no and he continued to uh, pound her, that all of a sudden now it's her fault. I mean, come on. Come on. We're better than that. As a community, we should be better than that. I sound like Mark Jackson. We, we're better than that. But no, but seriously, you know, we, we, we cheer, we make excuses. We do all this type of shit for our heroes also in our community. The Floyd Mayweathers, the Mike Tysons, the Michael Vicks, the R. Kelly. So, I mean, you know, I, you know, I don't, again, I, I'm, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a complicated deal. It's a complicated deal, but 
You know, Chad Wheeler. Just rotten hell because that's where you belong. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us discussing what's happening in the world of sports. Domestic violence takes place in the world of sports. So since it is in the world of sports, we discuss it, discussing what discussing Chad Wheeler, the soon to be hopefully ex-NFL player who was an offensive lineman for the Seattle Seahawks accused of uh, trying to murder his girlfriend and um, just bringing some stuff up. And uh, as I mentioned before, before I went to, uh, before we took a little break from this, you know, um, my community, the black community, we have a lot of grievances. We have a lot of distrust. And, uh, a lot of it is done of our doing. <laughs> I mean, a black person in this country, you you learned, you learn for the most part, um, kind of to take everything that the masses say with a grain of salt. Um, whether it's privilege, whether it's racism, whether it's ignorance, whether through not understanding what we go through, think we know what we go through but you don't you don't care you whatever whatever it is we we we've learned not to uh for the most part for for white folks what they say to us we we kind of we kind of take it person by person but i also will say this sometimes for my community sometimes we make mountains out of molehills sometimes we go fishing sometimes we we stretch it a little bit and hey you know that that's the thing so when i when i the only reason why I bring this up is because when people start talking about, well, what if Chad Wheeler was black? What would have happened? This would have happened. Or they're using the example, Chad Wheeler was black. Then, you know, uh, he would have been treated a lot differently and this, that, and the other, uh, you know, very, very, very small difference in this one. The, the, the minuscule reason dealing with race on this one. And again, we need to have the decision, we need to have the discussion because the way this country, this world was set up, that yeah, we should be kind of taking a look at that because those things do come into play. But look, man, the, the, the black culture, the, we're not a monolith. And the fact that, the fact is, we, we a lot closer 
to the way white folks think, then we want to admit. You know, our, our community wants to go on the, um, wants to go on the uh, belief that, you know, black folks stick together, black folks look out for each other, black folks and black folks. And, you know, this bullshit has even bled over to where white folks are so fearful that if you put black folks in a position of hiring, uh, you know, uh, where they can hire folks and this, that, and the other, that all they're going to be doing is hiring nothing but their own because, you know, black folks stick with black folks and black folks look out for black folks and black folks need black folks and all this type of stuff. When, no, no, black folks are going to, black folks are just like, are just like white folks in the fact that, you know what, they look after themselves, 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 and their family, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. And then maybe somewhere down the line, they'll look after another black folk. I mean, ain't, ain't no black unity here in terms of like, oh man, you know, this, that, and the other. Oh, black folks are so strong with the unity and white folks are tearing us apart. No, 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 no. In, in our community, uh, we're, we're, we're not looking after each other. We're looking after ourselves first. Which is no different than the Hispanic or Asian or white or Anglo, any other community. We ain't no different. We ain't no different whatsoever. And so when we sit up here talking about, oh, yeah, you know, the white folks are Chad Wheeler, this, that, and the other. No, no, no. There's been plenty of examples of uh, black folks who have done something similar to Chad Wheeler, have done it to white folks, have done it to white women, and uh, they, they've, uh, they've skated. Uh, not, not too much of ha- has happened to them either. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not enough examples of, oh, this is bullshit, this is railroad, to where we could apply that to what Chad Wheeler did and then say if he was black, this, that, and the other would have happened to him. But, but believe me, as far as we, you know, we take a look at the fucking jackass that was in the president for the last four years and we take a look at, you know, these folks out here talking about he can do no wrong, he can go out and shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and people will still be with him and... No matter what this jackass tries to do to tear our democracy, to tear our nation apart, that there's going to be people who are still going to be with them. There's still going to be people who believe that the election was rigged. There's still going to be people that there's both sides on the uh, protesters and the KKK. And there's going to be people from shithole countries. And there's going to be people who are just going to be down with this fucking asshole who was the president of, of this country in name only forever. Don't make any difference. And most of them are going to be white. But there's just enough people who feel just as strongly in terms of their reverence, their belief, their undying devotion and love and commitment to uh, someone like an R. Kelly. Now, I'm not saying that R. Kelly is the same as Donald Trump. But what I'm saying is when we take a look at folks who just blindly follow somebody, no matter what the facts are, no matter what the evidence is, they're so blind, they're so stupid, they're so ridiculous they're so devoid of common sense that we just shake our heads and we say, eh, you know, them white folks, eh, that's the way they are. No, 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 no. Because there's plenty of black folks who still to this day believe that R. Kelly didn't do anything wrong. R. Kelly's still the man. R. Kelly's still great. R. Kelly, even when he was doing his bullshit, people were still, black folks were still up there buying his records and talking about how great he is and how wonderful he is and this, that, and the other. People were still doing that, so... I don't, no, 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 no. In some instances, we're just as bad. We're just as lost. We're just as stupid. We're just as ridiculous. We're just as lacking in common sense as the white folks who sit up there and think that Paris Hilton and the Kardashians could do no wrong or some shit like that. You know, we, we, we've got our, our Kellys. We've got our Mike Tysons. 
we've got our Michael Vicks. And I'm talking about when they were going through their shit. Now, the redemption story for Vic and Mike Tyson has been remarkable. It's been fantastic. Wonderful. Awesome. But when you're sitting up there, Mike Tyson's in prison. And we're putting up there talking about free Mike Tyson and blaming Decker Ray Washington for what she did. And Tyson did nothing wrong and this, that, and the other. Another black man being persecuted. Like, come on, man. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, y'all. Jesus fucking hey, Come on. Let's, let's, let's think a little bit. Floyd Mayweather goes out, beats up the mother of his child in front of the uh, child. People out here in Vegas, females, I've talked to multiple females out here in Vegas who can tell you Floyd Mayweather treats black women like trash stories. Basically, it's just horrible the way he treats black women. But, you know, Floyd's still the man. Floyd's still great. Floyd's still awesome. Floyd's still a celebrity. Floyd can still do no wrong. Come on, y'all. This is the person who we're going to uh, deify. This is the person that we're going to champion. This is the person that we're going to hold up in high regard and in high esteem. This this fucking piece of trash. This fucking low-life scumbag. I mean, how many people now are still are still like, oh, Tupac, 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 Tupac. Tupac ain't done shit. Tupac wasn't shit. I don't give a fuck what you do. Oh, he, he, this, that, and the other. Notice the way he treated women? That thug life and all this kind of bullshit? Oh, you want to be a thug, huh? Tupac wants to be a thug, huh? Okay, fine, no problem. Where's Tupac right now? What happened to Tupac? What's Tupac doing right now to improve our society? What's Tupac doing to improve our community? What's Tupac doing to improve um, uh, this world that we live in? Oh, I forget, because for the last 24 years, Tupac has been six feet under. Want to be a thug? Want to act like a thug? And then on the other hand, talk about how we need to respect black people and black women? When you're disrespecting them off the mic, fuck you, man. Fuck you. Fuck you. But yet still, you have people who just swear by Tupac that Tupac's just the greatest. Oh, and by the way, I'm old enough to know Tupac, average rapper. Period. He ain't KRS-One. He ain't Chuck D. He ain't uh, CL Smooth. He definitely ain't Rakim. He ain't Big Daddy. He ain't any of them motherfuckers. He ain't Big L. He ain't Big, he ain't got Big Pun. He ain't Eminem. He ain't any of them motherfuckers. Oh, but Tupac, 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 get the fuck out of here. The day that they put him under, the air was that much nicer. The sun was out. The the trees were smelling great. The grass was greener. Give me a fucking break. So, you know, all of this is just to say that when we want to sit there and talk about if Chad Wheeler was black, this, that, and the other, no, no. No, I'm I I I'm not going there. And as much as we like to think that we're being persecuted, which we are, sometimes we take the wrong example to show how much we're being persecuted. Because in this situation, we, we, we definitely weren't. The, the worst story here on Wendell's World of Sports, the worst story of an NFL player assaulting a woman, in fact, was Greg Hardy. How that piece of shit is still employed is still, um, he's still, he's in the UFC still. The fact that that motherfucker is still walking the streets should make every female nervous as hell. The fact that he's walking the streets, the fact that he's allowed freedom and he's not either in a cage or in a grave, the fact that he's allowed to be walking the streets make makes this society a much dangerous place to be, especially if you're a woman. What his ex-girlfriend, Nicole Holder, what she told the police Greg Hardy was a guy 
Pro Bowler, Carolina Panther. Defensive uh, defensive end. I mean, he was a great football player. An exceptional football player. He's a professional football player, so of course he's going to be exceptional. He's going to be great and all those type of things. He's uh, he's all that. And then to make the Pro Bowl, I mean, unbelievable talent and all those type of things. But as a human being, he's a fucking rotten piece of shit. He's a fucking rotten piece of shit. For what he did to his ex-girlfriend, who happened to be white, Nicole Holder. Reading this, this is... One of the worst stories I've heard, again, uh, concerning an NFL player. On Mar- uh, this is what she told. This is what Nicole Holder told the police. On May 13th, 2014, Greg Hardy attacked me in his apartment. Hardy picked me up and threw me into the tidal, to a tile tub area in, the, in his bathroom. I had bruises from head to toe, including my neck, head, back, shoulders, arms, legs, elbows, and feet. Hardy pulled me from the tub by my hair, screaming at me that he was going to kill me, break my arms, and other threats that I completely believe, which means that he did it before. He drugged me across the bathroom and out into the bedroom. Hardy choked me with both his hands around my throat while I was lying on the floor. Hardy picked me up over his head and threw me onto a couch covered with assault rifles and or shotguns. I landed on those weapons. Hardy bragged that all of those assault rifles were loaded. Landing on those weapons bruised my neck and back. Hardy screamed for his quote-unquote administrative assistant, Sammy Curtis, to come into the room and hold me down. Curtis came into the room, grabbed me from behind, and held me down. Hardy and Curtis then took me into the living room area. I wasn't nearly strong or fast enough to escape. I begged them to let me go, and I wouldn't tell anyone what what he did. They took me into the hall pushed me down, and went back inside his apartment. I crawled to the elevator, ran to the CMPD, which is the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department. This, this, this guy is still walking the streets. This guy is still walking the streets. Think about that. And this guy has learned to be even a greater weapon because now he's learning how to fight. I mean, he's, he's a professional fighter. Jesus. On June 15th, after he was arrested, the judge found Hardy guilty of assaulting a female and, communi- and communicating threats. She sentenced him to 18 months in prison, or I'm sorry, 18 months probation. A 60-day day jail sentence was suspended, and when Hardy appealed the decision requesting a jury trial, the victim failed to appear in court to testify, and as a result, a prosecutor's office dropped the charges, citing the inability to locate the victim and reliable information that the two parties had reached a civil settlement. So, I mean, where is the, where is the, I can't believe it, uh, another black man being railroaded, I can't believe it, another black man victim of the judicial system, I can't believe it, despite everything, this guy's being railroaded and being treated uh, harshly and everything. All those things happen, all of those things happen, all of those things happen, all of those things happen. The black folks have been ha- happening to those to us for centuries. But again, the only reason why I point this out is to say, just to make the blanket statement, well, if he was black, if a white guy did this to a black woman, or if a black man did this to a white woman, this would happen to him. No, there's been instances where that really isn't the case. It didn't happen to Junior Gallette either. Happened to Leonard Little. Leonard Little killed two people. Um, ran over them with their car. Now, Dante Stallworth, uh, killed uh, some people with uh, his car. Those two came back and played football again. How much of it is race? How much of it is 
uh, economics. If I could sound stereotypical and a little bit ignorant, hey man, these black folks go out, get themselves a high-priced Jew lawyer, and boom, there we go. Settle. Something uh, happens in terms of, uh, you know, not facing the full brunt, the full force of the judicial system in that county or in that state or in that district or whatever. So, you know, Chad Wheeler, again, I, 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 I want this guy to spend decades in prison, not be able to come up for parole for decades, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, but we can't sit there when it doesn't happen and say, well, you know, there you go again, the justice system, not, not getting it done for black folks again. No, no, no. Can't do it on this one. Can't do it on this one. So after Hardy was let go, or I'm sorry, after Hardy uh, got past all of that, on November 15th or November 5th of 2015, the domestic violence charges against him were dropped or expunged from his record. And when Hardy was let go by the Carolina Panthers in March of 2015, Panthers owner Jerry Richardson made the decision to cut ties with Hardy. Despite requests from players and coaches, Ron Rivera was the coach at that time of the Panthers, requests from players and coaches to let Hardy have another chance. Have Hardy have another chance. This is what Josh Norman, who played for Washington for a little bit, this is what he told ESPN at the time Hardy would release. He said, I don't know how that went down with Mr. Richardson. I know as far as the Panthers players and coaches, we definitely want him back. We, I know we wanted him back. We would have tried to do anything to get him back. Could you imagine someone coming out right now for Wheeler? Could you imagine if, let's say, for instance, some white players on the uh, Seattle Seahawks were sitting there talking about, you know what, hey, man, you know what, Chad? I mean, he said he was sorry. I, that's not him. I know him. He's never been like this before. This was the one-time deal. I mean, I think that, you know, he should pay his penance in terms of uh, any action that's taken place. But, yeah, I would love to have him back on the team. I mean, he was a guy who, as I mentioned before, he was a good locker room guy. Uh, you know, as I as terrible what he did. Terrible. Horrible. Don't condone it at all. But, you know, I, I think that uh, he learned his lesson. He said he was sorry. First time this happened, I just think it was just an isolated incident. I mean, he didn't take his medication, so, I mean, it really, it was a situation where he didn't take his medication, he had been down, there had been stuff going on in his life, and what led to what he did wasn't, you know, precipitated by anything that she did, so I, I think that this incident right here has really shook him up, and it really taught him a lesson, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that uh, he won't do anything like this again, so, sure, I wouldn't mind having him back on the team. If a white guy from Seattle said that about Chad Wheeler after what this guy did, black folks, including me, would be losing their fucking mind. If a white player told ESPN, I don't know what went down with Seattle releasing him. All I know as far as the players and coaches are concerned, we, we definitely want uh, Chad back on the team. I know, I know we want him back. I mean, I would have tried to do anything to like, get him back on the team. If there was a white ball player that said that, good Lord, the Karen Hunters and the Jamel Hills and the Kerry Champions and the Angela Rides and the uh, William C. Rotens and the Van Jones of the world would just lose their mind. Oh, and also add Wendell Wallace to that list of people who would have lost it, saying, are you fucking kidding me? And they would have brought in the 
Ain't no fucking way if Wheeler was black, this, that, and the other, this, that, and the other. There's your example. <laughs> There's your example of, well, you know, uh, uh, uh. And when Hardy was released from the Panthers and got picked up by the Cowboys, the players made him captain, captain, team captain. Junior Gallette, what he did in Miami, what was on video, where he went after some woman to try to assault her, he got picked up by the Washington football team. The media loved this guy. So, eh, 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 you know, eh, I, I'm not going to, you know, I can't, I can't, I just can't, I just can't. I can't go down the, we're being persecuted role based on, you know, Chad Wheeler being black and I, I just can't do it. I just can't do that. So there you go, man. So look, I just want everybody to know. And it, it just, for me, it's just, no, I can't imagine being in a situation like that being in the rebuke abusive relationship. I just can't I can't I can't fathom it. I mean for for me it's you know child molestation, rape, um child abuse and abusing the elderly. I mean you commit those crimes. You don't deserve to walk around as a free person. I don't give a damn who you are. I don't care what your race is. I don't care if you're black, white, Hispanic. I don't give a fuck. I don't care who you are. If Barack Obama started beating up on Michelle for for a little bit of time, no, he ain't my president no more, this, that, and the other. He needs to go to prison forever. I hope he gets gang raped every day, blah, 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 blah. That would, that would be me. I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn who you are. To do that to a woman, the mother of your children and all that type of stuff, especially if we're speaking about athletes, and these guys are built strong, this, that, and the other. I, I can't, I can't deal. I can't deal. I can't deal. And it makes me fucking angry just even think about it. How a woman could be abused, in some cases, for years. I, I just can't imagine living a life where you're going. You know that you are going to get your ass kicked, and there's nothing that you can do about it in terms of you defending yourself. I, I can't. I can't fathom that. I can't comprehend that. I can't. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I've never got, I've never been beat up in a fight. I mean, I've had very few fights. Okay. So I'm not trying to say I'm bad, bad Leroy Brown, but, um, I've never gotten my ass kicked. Knock on wood. I've never gotten my ass kicked. So I, I can't imagine years, sometimes decades of knowing that part of my life is getting my ass whooped. I, I can't, I can't fathom that. And it would just horrify me, horrify me to no end. So these people who do that, who abuse those weaker than them, a man abusing a woman like that and abusing the children like that, fuck you guys, man. You guys need to fucking burn in hell. You guys need, no, there is no repentance in terms of my thoughts and feelings. Just no. Just no. So my thing on that one, man. So if you, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're up there beating women, number one, you're a fucking piece of shit. You're a fucking scumbag. And hopefully karma gets to you and uh, something horrible happens to you. And B, if you are in an abusive, abusive relationship, um, go to www.thehotline.org, www.thehotline.org. And internet usage can be monitored, and it is possible to 
it's not it's impossible for it to be completely erased but you can learn more about digital security and remember to clear your browser history after viewing this website if you're going to do it just click the escape button on your keyboard twice at any time to leave the hotline.org immediately and if you're concerned your internet usage might be monitored you can call them at 800 799 safe 800 7233. You can also go to ncadv.org slash get help. If you're in immediate danger, call 911. And for anonymous confidential help 24-7, please call the domestic the uh, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. That number is 1 800 799 7233 or 1-800-787-3224. And for the National Domestic Violence Hotline, the Family Violence Prevention and Services Act, the FVPSA, it provides funding for the ongoing operation of a 24-hour national toll-free telephone hotline. The hotline is an immediate link to life-saving help for victims. It provides information and assistance to adults and youth victims of family violence, domestic violence, or dating violence, family and household members, and other persons such as domestic violence, advocates, government officials, law enforcement agencies, and the general public. For accessibility, the hotline can be accessed via the nationwide number. That number is... 800-799-7233 or 1-800-787-3224 or 206-518-9361. Video phone only for deaf callers. And the hotline provides service referrals to agencies in all 50 states, including Puerto Rico, Guam, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Persons can also contact the hotline through an email request from the hotline website. Um, Services are provided without regard to race, color, national origin, religion, gender, age, or disability, including deaf and hard of hearing. Assistance is available in English and Spanish with access to more than 170 languages through telephonic interpreter services. So please remember, if you are in any type of relationship where you are being abused by somebody, by your father, by your husband, by your uncle, by a family friend, by anybody, age is not a requirement. It's not something where you have to be 18 years or older. It doesn't matter. The numbers, once again, I'm going to give it to you one more time. It's, uh, let me see, it's 1-800, this is for the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Give them a call. 1-800-799-7233 or 1-800-787-3224. Please, for God's sake, please, please do not go another minute. Do not go another second. 
Do not go another fucking day dealing with some bullshit like that. Whether it's what is not your fault. Look, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna go into a it's not your fault. I'm not gonna sit there and pretend that I'm a psychiatrist. But just please, please, if you're going through something like this again, please, 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 please get some help. The hotline again pervert provide referral services to agencies in all 50 states, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. You can contact the hotline through an email request. And also, again, the services are provided regardless of race, color, national origin, religion, gender, age, or disability, including deaf or hard of hearing. And assistance is available in English and Espanol with access to more than 170 languages through telephonic interpreter services. So again, please, please, if you're going through any type of physical violence, emotional violence, any type of verbal abuse, anything where your well-being is in jeopardy, please stop listening right now. Stop listening to this podcast right now. Go somewhere cell phone, hide somewhere, figure out a plan to call those numbers and get the help that you need. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports and in the world. One more thing I want to say before I leave the topic of domestic violence and we talk about sports. We talk about uh, COVID and sports. How about that? The NBA and COVID. This keeps getting better. Huh? Hey, um, I forgot to mention also, if you know somebody who's being abused uh, physically and mentally, woman, child, whatever, then go ahead also and call those numbers, 1-800-799-7233, 1-800-787-3224. So go ahead and do that also. As, uh, I just, I just, I've never fathomed how anybody can go through life like that. It's just beyond my... Uh, comprehension so there you go all right let's go ahead and uh get into the love of my life the nba uh let me see here oh yes i was speaking about how uh the nba is dealing with covid (laughs) and basically hey man the league is doing everything they can to uh, keep the season going league officials reaffirm faith in the nba's protocols 
said that these issues in terms of, of um, postponed games and players, uh, you know, going into the uh, uh, protocol system or whatever and missing games because of uh, uh, positive tests uh, like Carl Anthony Towns or being around folks who have got the uh, um, the virus like Kawhi and Paul George missed a couple of games on the uh, first two games, I believe, against the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks, the first two games of a six-game Eastern swing for the Clippers. But the league was like, man, we, we expect this. All right, the situation remains incredibly fluid. But they also weren't surprised by these issues or postponements. They also do not believe there's going to be any type of situation where more affections and everything is going to lead to some type of shutdown or, or anything like that. They feel that, you know what, if people go ahead of those Employees in the NBA, coaches, scouts, trainers, players, of course, if they abide by what the NBA is putting down in terms of uh, being as safe as possible, then we can keep this under control. doesn't mean that then we're not going to have any positive tests. It doesn't mean that there might be games that are going to be postponed, but just in terms of where we where the NBA was last season, where they had to shut everything down. And, you know, that you even look back on it, the fact that if... This was the same situation. The whole league shut down. The sports world just shut down. Uh, started off with the um, the announcement that Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz and then Donovan Mitchell had come down with the uh, virus. So the game, they shut everything down. And this, that, and the other. If that scenario happened now, it's like we're going to keep on going. So Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are not playing. And this, that, and the other. And we're just going to uh, test and see what happens. And we're just going to... Uh, plow right through the season. So team health officials have pointed to other sports in the NFL, college football, college basketball, Major League Baseball, how they faced COVID-related issues in their own seasons outside of a bubble, but yet still they came out okay. They came out very well. So they drove home the reality that the NBA is going to face some challenges as it appears that uh, what's on the horizon and they're just going to, uh, as I mentioned before, plow right through it. And also, I think what they learned from these other sports, baseball, football in general, college football, also since the season's over, is the fact that as long as there, there weren't any deaths from any type of prominent players, if there weren't any images of players having COVID on their deathbed and wheezing and coughing and hospitalized and facing the Grim Reaper and all those type of things. As long as the league stayed away from that, and I also have to emphasize prominent players, crowning a championship or crowning a champion is considered a successful season. All the hoopla and all the stops and the starts and the ridiculousness and the bullshit and this doesn't count and minimizing the season and all those things that college football was faced with this season, all the discussion points that were made about college football this season, guess what? In the end, college football got exactly what they wanted. Well, I wouldn't say exactly what they wanted, but after everything that came down, college football, they came out smelling pretty good because the season wasn't shut down. They still had a national championship. And the most important thing is they got that uh, college football championship money. So the ratings were down and all that kind of stuff. Okay, expected. No one died. Trevor Lawrence got it, but he survived. Afterthought. Final four for the playoffs, the semifinals, Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson, four college football blue bloods currently. Alabama winning the national championship. We got the crown of Heisman Trophy winner. 
So everything was, uh, everything worked out well. Not perfect, not normal, but then again, a, cramp- a champion was crowned. Same thing in baseball. Yeah, we had to play the World Series at a, uh, you know, at, a, at an off-site or at a neutral site. And all other things happened. But, but guess what? End of the day, the history books are going to show the Los Angeles Dodgers won themselves um, uh, a World Series championship. In college football, it's going to show in Wikipedia that Alabama won the 2020 college football championship. And in five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years from now, you're not going to even remember. Does anybody remember the first championship of the San Antonio Spurs? Is there anybody having ill ill uh, feelings or asterisks or does the legacies or, of Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich, is it any less because they won their first championship in the strike-shortened uh, season? Do you even know when that season happened? Do you even know the scenarios of what happened? Do you even know the intricacies of what happened? Absolutely not. Same thing with uh, the Washington football team when they were the Joe Gibskins, where they won their championship. Does anybody remember the fact that uh, they were playing with scabs? Does anybody remember that it was a strike-shortened season? Does anybody remember any of that nonsense? Does anybody even remember what year it was? Does anybody remember what team the Washington football team beat to go to the uh, Super Bowl? Does anybody remember the team that Washington played in the Super Bowl? So, okay, for the moment, for the present, it's like, yeah, this sucks. Alabama, can't believe it. COVID, uh, Ohio State only playing six games. It was bullshit that they got in by only playing six games. Notre Dame, Clemson, blah, blah, blah. All of the nonsense. You know, the St. Louis Cardinals, they didn't play the fair amount of games. The Miami Marlins made the playoffs despite missing a lot of games. This is unbelievable. This is bullshit. This is ridiculous. In 20 years, in 15 years, in 10 years, are you going to remember any of that? Or are you just going to say, what did the Dodgers win their championship again? But Dave Roberts, Clayton Kershaw, when Kershaw is accepting his Hall of Fame award and he's giving a speech, is anybody going to sit up there and say, yeah, yeah, he won that World Series, but eh, you got to remember that year you were dealing with COVID and the teams only played uh, X amount of games and this, that, and the other. I've forgotten already how many games. Was it 62? Is it 62? Somewhere around there? So I've already forgotten the exact number of games that uh, were played that season. Are you going to remember in five, ten years? And if that's going to be some type of, well, you know, asterisk, well, you know, yeah, Kershaw won a, won a World Series, but no, no one's going to no one's going to do that. So the NBA takes a look at that and is like, you know, hey, is anybody five years from now going to uh, sit there and talk about the Lakers championship being tainted because they beat the Miami Heat in the bubble? No. So we, we, we've learned, for the most part, man, just, just get through the season. And as long as the star players are uh, playing, as long as the star players are there and they're not dead or they're not in a um, hospital clinging for life because they've uh, caught COVID, then we'll be fine. We'll be all right. We'll we'll be able to go through. And if you're an owner, it's like, hey, man, I'm not interested in losing any more money. So would the greatest thing be for the league to shut down for player safety purposes with the Main thing be to shut the season down until there's vaccines, until we know that uh, the risk of contracting this virus is almost zero. And that way, you know, we can make sure, for the most part, at least if the players are going to catch COVID, it won't be on our watch. Sure, postponing the season, canceling the season, whatever would be the right deal. 
But of course, if you're an owner and if you're a player and if you're an employee or if you're working at the arena, you're not going to have that happen because you won't get a paycheck or the owners won't be making any money. The players will not be making any money. So it's like, no, hell no. Unless it's the black plague or Ebola running around. No, we'll risk it. We'll be all right. No risk it, no biscuit, no ticket for us to uh, get that uh, money. So no, 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 no. They just don't care about the childbirth. Just show them the newborn when the, when they arrive, when you're done. That's that's okay. So as long as there are no deaths of prominent players, crowning a champion would be considered a success again for the NBA. So no, we are not going to be postponing the season. No, we're not thinking about uh, any alternative motives in terms of what we can do for the player safety. And for the most part, players are on board with this also. So they can't sit up there and be like, oh, man, man, the owners are treating us like cattle and we're million-dollar slaves and white man. No, they can't be. No, players can't be doing any of that shit. Because as soon as they start doing that, the owners will be like, okay, well, you know, you guys don't have to play. You won't get a paycheck, though. And the players will be like, oh, that, hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. Remember at the beginning of the season where they were in negotiations about when exactly the season was going to start? The owners wanted Christmas. The players wanted Martin Luther King Day. And then the owners explained to the players how much money they would lose if they started the season on Martin Luther King Day instead of uh, December 22nd. And the players were like, oh, okay, gotcha. We're starting in December. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm thinking about here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. The league, the players, as I mentioned before, coaches, other NBA employees, they need to take that vaccine. If you take a look at the uh, age of NBA coaches who are most susceptible to the effects of the virus, Dwayne Casey of the Detroit Pistons, Terry Stotts of the Trailblazers, Thibodeau of the New York Knicks, Stan Van Gundy of the New Orleans Pelicans, these guys are all in their early 60s. And you've got half the league's head coaches who are 50 years or older, And NBA benches who are also filled with veteran assistants. So this is something where it's kind of like, hey, man, this needs to be done. Earlier this month, San Antonio forward uh, uh, Drew Ebanks and assistant coach Becky Hammond and other staff, uh, staffers of the uh, San Antonio Spurs, they entered the NBA's health and safety protocols for COVID-19 and contract uh, tracing. Now, they returned last week when more than half the Spurs and New Orleans Pelicans were exposed to the virus and that led to a cancellation of their game on Monday but yeah for the most part man when you're speaking about the age and we really don't think about that again we don't think about that in terms of the age of these coaches and we so focused on the players in terms of their chances of getting it we don't think about coaches who are not in the same shape or have the same immune systems that these players do even though players are susceptible to it also these guys are far from supermen in terms of being immune to the virus. So as part of the NBA's ongoing awareness campaign, they showed a video of my man, 72-year-old San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich receiving the COVID vaccine. And the video was featured in a public service announcement that aired during the league's Thursday night doubleheader on TNT. It was pretty good. Um, Popovich is the oldest head coach in the NBA. And of course, with him being 72, he is at a greater risk than his players of hospitalization or death where he were he to uh, contract the coronavirus. So I thought the I thought the video was uh was really good. Here, let me play the audio for you. This is uh this is Coach Pop 
in the PSA of him receiving the vaccine for the coronavirus. I'm going to get the COVID vaccine shot. It'll keep me safe, keep my family safe, keep other people safe. Wearing masks is important, and to get the vaccine does give you an added level of assurance. That's done. I didn't even feel that. Science-wise, it's a no-brainer. It's the right thing to do so we can all get on track again. Let's do this together. To learn more, visit cdc.gov. So that was the audio of Coach Pop receiving his vaccine shot. The video comes 10 days after NBA's first PSA. It's featured 73-year-old Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'm a superstar like my man Kareem Abdul-Jabbar received his vaccine and it aired during the league's games on Martin Luther King Day. So there you go, man. The NBA health and safety protocols as of this recording, you know, they've been updated. Um, The players might find some disagreements with them. I understand where they're coming from with some of the stuff that they're talking about. But, uh, hey, man, you know, play a little ball in terms of doing what you need to do. Don't be looking out after uh, uh, your your safety and all this type of thing. The league doesn't want players to leave their homes or their hotel rooms unless it's to go to practice, a game, or an essential activity like grocery shopping or seeing a doctor. All right, I mean, again, this is a situation where man, we're just trying to do what we need to do to get through the season, to minimize the risks, and those checks keep coming the 1st and 15th every month of every month. Players are no longer allowed to have guests in their hotel rooms or on the road. Okay, they're no longer to have a hookers, <coughs> I mean guests in their hotel rooms. You know, they're, they're chicken heads on the, on the, on, in their hotel rooms on the road. Okay, all right. Previously, they could have Two, as long as they were family members or close friends who lived uh, lived in that city. Yeah, uh, I'm here to see uh, Norm Nixon. Yeah, uh, my name my name is Angel. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm his cousin. <laughs> None of that anymore, huh? Players must wear masks all t- at uh, all times, or we say players must wear masks all the time except when they are playing. And immediately upon exiting the game, they are asked not to have extended conversations with players before and after games while also keeping at least six feet apart as much as possible. Players must have the same seating chart on team planes as they do on the bench during games. All right. Well, some of this stuff is a little, I mean, I mean, come on. And, and, I, and I understand where the players are coming from. Okay, let, let me see if I get things straight here. Um, the 30 minutes, 35 minutes, 38 minutes, 22 minutes that I'm on the court, I'm breathing, slobbering, drooling, sweating, all this other guy, boxing out, guarding, fouling, all of these types of things. When we're on the foul line for free throw shots, we're um, closer than six feet. When I'm guarding the person, a lot of times we're closer than six feet. So all of that is, of course, you have to do it. It's part of the game. It's in the game. So there's no way to, uh... There's no way to, uh, you know, uh, have any rules on that. But then, all of a sudden, if after the game I can't go and give somebody a dap or a hug or something like that or a brief little, a brief little conversation, all of a sudden now, that's going to be outlawed because of the possibility of, of obtaining the virus or getting the virus. So for all the time that I'm on the court and I'm doing all these things, these physical action with these guys, I'm not going to get the virus. But after the game, when I 
go over for a brief what's up, how you doing, keep safe, hope all is well, talk to you later conversation. That's when I'm going to be catching the virus? Really? Seriously? Really? And I can see from the NBA standpoint, number one, both players, are, um, people are watching this game. Kids are watching this game. We're trying to do the best we can to be as safe as possible to show the public that, hey, we're trying to be safe whenever possible. So six feet and all this kind of stuff. We just want to show everybody that we're doing the best that we can with this stuff. But, uh, you know, I, 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 see, I see both sides. And I can see where the players are like, come on, man, give me a break. And I can see where some of these um, rules are ridiculous. It's kind of like the same nonsense where if, when you go grocery shopping, I don't know, out here in Vegas, you know, for Smith's, the uh, grocery store where I shop, you know, for the aisles, they have, you know, one way only, that you can only enter this way and that way. And, of course, you know, I'm like, man, bullshit, get out of here. So it's like one of those type of deals. When I go to the gym, which I got to go back to, one of the reasons why I stopped going to the gym was when, you went to the gym and you did your physical activities, you took off your mask. When you entered the gym, when you were walking around the gym, you had to keep your mask on. But when you got to the treadmill or when you did an exercise class or whatever and your heart rate started to go up, you were allowed to take your mask off. Well, for the last six weeks or so, it's like, no, you've got to keep your mask on whether you're working out or not. No matter what type of physical activity that you're doing, you need to keep your mask on. Well, shit, man. I tried that bullshit. I can't fucking do body pump with a mask on because I can't fucking breathe. Even when I was uh, doing it without a mask, it's fucking hard enough for me to, uh, you know, do it, you know, doing the squats. The chest is fine, but when I'm doing my back and when I'm especially doing the squats and the lunges, good Lord have mercy, man. I'm, 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 I'm trying to get every breath that I can to keep going. You know, and now you're going to tell me to put a mask on? Are you trying to suffocate me? So I understand some of this stuff is bullshit. I'm like, man, I mean, yeah, that's what I use my old guy privilege. A lot of the folks who are doing the class, a lot of the instructors, I mean, they're young, they're young folks, 30s. Some are a little bit in their 40s. Um, but, you know, I play the, hey, look, I'm 51 years old. And, um, you know, when you were born, I was like 13, 12 years old. So, uh, you know, I got age card on you, so you can't tell me what to do. What are you, what are you kidding me? But, uh, you know, I, it's it's a situation where, yeah, some of these rules are bullshit, and some of these rules are intrusive, and some of these rules are ridiculous, and all of that stuff. But some of the things that the league is asking the players to do is, I don't know, man, it's, 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 just, it's, it's just something you got to go with. All the time, a lot of time in your uh, place of business, they've got rules that don't make any sense that you don't agree with. But you do what you got to do, and uh, you know you keep moving forward because you know, hey, I'm working, I'm getting a paycheck, I'm providing for my family, I'm providing for the lifestyle that I have. So you just um, you just do what you got to do. So on the one hand, I can understand where the players are just like, man, this is nonsense, this is ridiculous, this, that, and the other. I don't understand why they can't uh, say, look, you know, after the game, when the game is over, you know, if you want to go ahead and say some few things and say a few words, this, that, and the other, okay, but just make sure you wear a mask. 
and just keep it to a minimum. Just say, hey, what's up, good game? I mean, a lot of these players after the game is over, I mean, they're not holding long conversations anyway. Most of the, a lot of time it's a, it's a dap, it's a quick little hug, and you just move on. So it's not even a situation where these guys are, it's not like football players at the end of the game where these guys are spending some time afterwards and, you know, they go ahead and they speak to like 12, 13, 15 people after the game is over or some nonsense like that. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, you want to do that? Put on your mask. Go ahead and put on your mask. So maybe there's some, maybe there's some leeway that can be used. But I, I think the NBA needs to start getting a little bit more serious. Now, again, as I mentioned before, a lot of these coaches who are in the NBA, head coaches, assistant coaches and such, they're of the age where they're susceptible to the effects of the virus. So, okay, I get it. I understand. All right. But a lot of times you see these guys when you need to, when they're speaking to a rep, they take off the mask. When they're speaking to their teams during the um, timeouts, they're taking off their masks. Well, you can't uh, understand what you're saying with your mask on. I speak with my mask on. Most of the time people understand what I'm saying. People are like, Wendell, when you have your mask on or off, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about or what the fuck you're saying. So what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is the fact that, you know, it's not like I'm going to put my mask on. <laughs> now I take my mask off and everything is fine. So I don't know what they're talking about, you know. So if I'm Damien. I'm taking my mask off. Damien, Damien, come here for a second. Then he comes over. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You don't. I said it. <laughs> All right. Damien's like, hey, man, you got to take your mask off because I don't understand what the hell you're saying. Or if he had his mask on. Hey, man, you got to take your mask off. <laughs> so, uh, so, I don't know, man. But, uh. It's, a, it's an ongoing situation with the NBA, but they're aiming toward they're aiming toward um, keeping the players safe. And also, again, I think they're also saying that, hey, you know what? We're trying to uh, show the public that we're following the guidelines as best we can. So if we're really going to play into this, hey, players are role models and young people take their cue from these wonderful athletes, then why not go ahead and show them that, you know what, I'm taking the virus just as seriously as we should be. Yes, I cannot wear the mask when I'm playing the game of basketball. Yes, I know that some of the rules are sort of ridiculous that the NBA wants us to do. But we are following the rules because even though we're superstars, we're also not people who are writing the checks. We are receiving the checks. And while we are famous and while we are great and while we are the upper echelon of what we do, uh, we are still an employee. In that regard, we are no different than the 9-to-5 ham and acre that goes ahead and uh, does his job. The 8-to-5 clock-punching white sock-wearing humanoid, as Bobby the Brain Heenan would say. So I think the message that the NBA players, by doing some of the bullshit, is directed toward that. And again, also, PR. PR. So all of the things are coming into play when you're speaking about that. But how is the league going to do in terms of if they have to go to a bubble? Are they going to go to a bubble? What's going to be happening if things start to deteriorate? If the NBA, if the Players Association down with all that? Is that true? 
Is that culture? Is that supposed to be something that we should be discussing? Should the NBA make it mandatory for players to get the vaccine? <laughs> Hold on. I'll tell you in a second. Windows World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. That's me. W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Wendell Wallace, Windows World in Sports. Bonjour. Bonsoir. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amoe, Wendell Wallace. Namaste. Konnichiwa. Shalom. Wassalamu alaikum. What's happening? What's going on? What's getting down on the get down? All right, NBA. Speaking about how the NBA is dealing with the pandemic, we talked about could the league return to the bubble if positive tests continue to rise before the NBA season begin? The commissioner, the commish, Adam Silver, said that having a bubble for an entire season would be untenable, correct? Due to the amount of time away from family and friends that would cause basically the players losing their mind. He did, however, leave the door open to potentially returning to one for part of the season is necessary. So I'm thinking possibly, and look, we don't know what's happening with the vaccine. We do know we have at least someone who's competent running the show for this country. So the chances of this thing happening in terms of you know, glass half full is a little bit better. I'm sorry, a lot better than the asshole in chief that was the president in name only for this fucked up country. So basically, there's a chance that, you know, maybe we won't need to have a situation where the bubble is going to be discussed because we'll be in a better place by the time the summer rolls around, by the time June rolls around, that that won't uh, be necessary. Maybe... There's a possibility that when, let's just take, for instance, two teams, the two best teams in the NBA in the Eastern and Western Conference, the Los Angeles Lakers play the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA championship, that they'll be able to have 15% capacity in these arenas. So you'll be getting at least a little bit of a crowd, a small crowd, but a crowd nonetheless, to where the fact, again, we don't need to be going to Orlando. We don't need to be going to Vegas. We don't need to be going to some Indian reservation out in the Dakotas to go ahead and get the thing done for the welfare and the safety of the players and the coaches and everybody involved in these playoffs or in the NBA finals. So we don't know exactly what's going to be happening. It could be a situation where the this virus could be getting worse. Now I heard there's different strands. So it's almost like news cycle to news cycle, day to day, week to week, or whatever. We don't know. And we're still trying to figure this out. And again, as I mentioned before, with the NBA, 
They're just going to go ahead and plow through this with the hope, with the optimism, with the goal of crowning a champion. No matter what that means, crowning a champion. I know the NBA definitely does not want to return to the bubble. I mean, that's something the players in the league does not want to do. I mean, I can only imagine when I substitute, say, for instance, in Mesquite, and I'm up there for three or four days, I'm in the hotel room for four days. I'm up there, if I go up there Monday morning, yeah, I'm not going to come back until Friday afternoon or Thursday afternoon because I'm going to be up there for a couple of days. By about Wednesday, it's like, yeah, man, I'm ready to go. When I did a long-term sub-gig in Laughlin, and I spent the week at a teacher's house, uh, me and another teacher <clears throat> rented out the house or, you know, had at the house, um, were house-sitting for the guy. It was like, man, by the time Thursday rolled around, I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. Not just because it was Laughlin and I was living, well, I was staying across the bridge over in, um, not Needles, California, but, uh, man, it's been so long since I've been to Laughlin, I kind of forgot. There was Boulder City, there was, I forgot what it was, somewhere in Arizona. But I was uh, living over there, but by the time Thursday rolled around, I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there and go back to my own place. So I can only imagine what the players are going to be dealing with if they have to go through that again. And it was still unbelievable. Teams, <clears throat> teams of players like the Lakers, <clears throat> players on the teams like the Lakers and the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics and the Denver Nuggets, how those guys did what they did for so long and the mental strength that it took for the Lakers and the Heat to uh, make it to the NBA Finals and ultimately the Lakers winning that championship. And you, you can make the argument about, well, big deal, we're staying in the five-star hotels. What's the big fucking deal? It doesn't matter, man. It don't matter. And yeah, if they weren't imprisoned, I mean, they could walk around the campus and they could do some things and other activities and they could go fish and do do all that type of thing. But for the most part, to be in that environment for around three months, good Lord, I, I it, it spoke of their... Um, it spoke of their dedication and, like I said, their mental strength to get through this because no family members, at least until the finals. So you're speaking about no family members, no friends, no, um, <clears throat> what shall we say here? What word can I say? No other goodies that they could uh, that they could employ to uh, help their stay a little bit longer, if you know what I mean. Some of the uh, services that they couldn't use to uh help pass the time, especially during the midnight hour, it was, uh, you know, it was tough. It was tough. So, again, definitely the NBA players are like, nah, we're not going through that shit again. I know Paul George and the Los Angeles Clippers were like, nah, we're not going through that shit again. I know Doc Rivers is like, nah, that that experience cost me my job with the Clippers. So, now nah, we're not going to do that again. So, hey, if things deteriorate to the point where the league has no choice to return to a bubble to finish the season, Silver's like, that, that could happen. Break glass in case of emergency, but both sides will do everything humanly possible that they can to finish the season outside of a bubble. Now, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, the same one as I mentioned before, said last Tuesday that the league had discussed having players receive COVID-19 vaccines to educate and influence the public regarding their safety and effectiveness. Now, Michelle Roberts, who is the executive director of the National Basketball Players Association, she's indicated that discussions with the players have shown that many are hesitant about getting the vaccine. In fact, herself, who's of a mature age, herself 
is hesitant of getting the vaccine. She said in an interview with Yahoo Sports last month, she said, um, I've heard, excuse me, I've heard they want black influencers to step up, convince the black community to do this. I'm just waiting on the tap on the shoulder to say, Michelle, will the players do this? I know it's coming, but I haven't made up my mind. I'm eager to be convinced that these are safe. I'm hopeful I'll be convinced they are safe, but I'm not a cheerleader. All right. I say again, it has to be, it has to be, you know, bargained. So I know the answer to this question is no, but in a perfect world, I think that the league should mandate the players to get this vaccine. And again, it, it just, some players just don't want to get a vaccine because they just hate vaccine. It has nothing to do with race or anything like that. There's just a good number of people out there in our society who just don't like vaccines. Go see Jenny McCarthy. She was up there, you know, up there railing about vaccines years ago and what it does to children and all this type of stuff. So it's more than just a, you know, Tuskegee experiment. You're just trying to harm black folks and use it as guinea pigs type of thing. There's plenty of white folks who also don't trust the government in terms of vaccines and what uh, and, and what they're going to try to do to them. So, you know, in a perfect world, the union would uh, allow it, but I know that they're not. Of the 492 players tested for COVID since January 20th, only one new player has returned a confirmed positive test. Now, it's unclear who had the positive test, but, you know, at least 145 cases of coronavirus has now happened, at the very least. I don't think the NBA is going to give us a straight answer on the exact number, but uh, they're keeping it close to the best, best. But, all right. So, again, the league is thinking, if the players abide by the rules for the virus, everything could be managed. Games could be missed, but games could also be made up. And most importantly, best case scenario, we could have an NBA Finals outside of a bubble on the team's home court with fans in the arena. Not full capacity, maybe not even half capacity. But if you're speaking about the owners trying to make that money, then it's a situation where we're going to see what we can do to try to, uh, in June, maybe get as many people as humanly possible. Now, the players, all they really need to do is make it to the end of the season because when you start playing in the playoffs, they don't make they don't make money from their salaries. So the salaries are paid as far as the 1st or 15th or the last 15th or the last day of the month. I don't know what their pay schedule is. But, um, you know, that's for the regular season. The playoff money, it comes from TV money for the players. So for teams like the so Wizards or the Sacramento Kings or the Minnesota Timberwolves, it's like, man, let's just hurry up, get 72 games or get to the uh, end of the regular season so I can make my money. So they're not even thinking about playing in a bubble or anything like that for the playoffs. So, um, yeah, so vaccines or no vaccines, COVID, no COVID, you know. I think one of the reasons why I'm discussing this here on Wendell's World and Sports Podcast, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. One of the main reasons why I think the players, again, should get the vaccine, especially the black players, is according to a new Kaiser Health News analyst, black Americans are receiving COVID vaccinations at dramatically lower than lower rates than white Americans in the first week of the rollout. Again, this is according to a new Kaiser Health News analysis. About 3% of Americans have received at least one dose of the coronavirus vaccine, but in 16 states that released data by race, 
White residents are being vaccinated at significantly higher rates than black residents, according to the analysis, in many cases, two to three times higher. That's a problem. That's a problemo. In the most dramatic case, 12% of all of our white Pennsylvanians have been vaccinated as of January 14th, compared, or sorry, 1.2% of white Pennsylvanians have been vaccinated as of January 14th, compared to 0.3% of black Pennsylvanians. Come on, y'all. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. The vast majority of the initial round of vaccines has gone to healthcare workers and staffers on the front line of the pandemic, and the type of workforce is racially diverse, which is made up of physicians, hospital, cafeteria workers, nurses, nurses, and janitorial staffers. I mean, look, I, I understand, I, I get it. Tuskegee experiment. I understand the racism of this country. I'm black for God's, God's fucking sakes. So I, I, I get it. I understand the trepidation. I understand the distrust. I understand all of those things. But again, as I mentioned before, I hate to say this, but yeah, because of my distrust of this government, because of the distrust. Now, if the jackass would have been reelected, there ain't no fucking way I would have gotten this vaccine because I know for the most part, that piece of shit racist motherfucker that was in the White House whose name I'm never going to pronounce or never say. I know he had, he did have, he had nothing in terms of, um, he had nothing in terms of making sure that the black community in whole was taken care of. He knew that because he knew his base don't like black folks. So he was going to appease the white nationalists, the white racists, the white fools that were in there and take care of the black folks last. If he was going to take care of them at all, especially those who need it, especially those who aren't financially able, those who are not coming from a upper crust of, of an incur of, of a, uh, of a financial uh, income is concerned. So yeah, if it was up to me and that motherfucker was still in the white house, I wouldn't be taking that vaccine because of Joe Biden being the president and handling this. Now I feel much safer or much more confident in terms of saying, okay, I'll go ahead and take this vaccine, especially with my mom, the place where she's staying now, you know, if it means, if a vaccine means me being able to see my mom and me not being able to see my mom, fuck that. I'm taking the vaccine. I'll take it eight times a day, 15 times a week. You know what I'm saying? If, it, if that's the case. So that's one of the main reasons why I'm taking it. But again, for those who are feeling trepidation, for those who are feeling distress, who are uneasy about this virus because, you know, this country's history of black folks and this, that, and the other. We don't trust them, this, that, and the other. I say to you, and I say it again, I'm getting that vaccine, but where they're going to be taking it, I want to go where them white folks are taking it. I'm going to go where them upper crust Republican white folks are taking them shots. Not, 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 not the lower rung, not the trailer park garbage trash, not the insurrectionists who ran up on the Capitol, not those jackasses. Not those, not those people who the Republican Party have no regard to, no respect for, but they need their votes, so they'll kowtow, kowtow to those idiots. I'm talking about, I'm going to go to where, as I mentioned before, them folks who are living in the uh, 9,000 blocks up on uh, Flamingo Road or up there in Summerlin or up there past uh, 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 Tropicana, all up in there. Yeah, that's where I'm going. 
them folks down in the Southern Highlands, yeah, that's where I'm going. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out where them people are going to be uh, getting their vaccine, and that's where I'm going to be taking it. Worst come to worst shit, I'll go up to uh, Mesquite. That's highly Republican out there getting my vaccine shots out there. Because I know they ain't going to be messing with them folks. So, yeah, we, we, we need as a community, we need to start looking at some shit like that. If you don't trust the government because they're going to be doing us wrong, then shit, don't be going down to West Las Vegas looking for uh, folks to give you a vaccine shot if you're going to be that paranoid about it. If you're living in Los Angeles, hey, man, don't be going down to the poor, predominantly black parts of L.A. if you're going to be having that feeling of uh, paranoia in terms of they're not going to be doing us right. Go up to Beverly Hills, man. Go up to where the uh, rich white folks. Go down to Orange County or something like that. You know what I'm saying? If, if you're in D.C., I mean, if, if you, don't be heading over to uh, the poor area. Go over to uh, Northwest Side. Go over to the Georgetown area. Go up M Street. You know what I'm talking about? Go up Wisconsin Avenue and uh, with uh, Massachusetts Avenue to get them uh, vaccine shots. Find out where them people are going to be um, taking it and, and, and go from there. If you're living in Northern Virginia, go up to uh, McLean or Tyson's Corner somewhere and find out where them folks are going to be taking their shots and go there. Go out to Ashburn or something like that. So I just think that, again, the NBA needs to go ahead and get this done. And people are speaking about, well, you can't jump the line, can't jump the line, can't jump the line. Hey, look, if folks aren't going to be taking the vaccine, if folks are going to be like, no, I'm good, I'm not going to be doing this, then... Hell, it's not a matter of NBA players jumping the line. It's just a matter of NBA players saying, I'll take your spot. If you won't want to uh, take the vaccine, I'll take it. You know, if, you, if, if, if you're if you number 34 and number 34 is called and they're like, nah, it's okay, I'm going to be going home. I don't want to be uh, doing that. If I'm the NBA player, like, yeah, I'll take your ticket number 34. 34? Yeah, that's me. What's up? What's going on? What's happening? So there you go. And again... Black folks, in terms of the virus, we're being hit hard by this. Folks who are dying from the virus, being hit hard. My community is being hit hard. So we're, we're kind of stuck, aren't we? Damn if you do. Damn if you don't. Well, I don't want to take the vaccine. Okay, well, you know if you don't take the vaccine that you could get the uh, virus and it could do some harm to you. Statistics show facts showing this so what's it going to be i'd rather take my chances of having a screwy vaccine and getting fucked up that way rather than not getting the vaccine at all and not being able to see my parents and not being able to see my godchild and more importantly i I don't know as far as the school district is concerned out here if i'm going to need to uh, take the vaccine to get me back into the classroom so all of those things are going into my thought process. But with the uh, NBA, you know, for those who are big followings of these guys, then, yeah, I think it would be uh, wise for those guys to do this and get the word out and uh, take the vaccine. And uh, if that means, you know, we can go along with the NBA without any uh, chance of disruption or playing in a bubble, Quite sure the NBA would be, or the players' union would be more opened to doing that. But uh, but time will tell. Time will tell. But for me, who does not have the gravitas of a LeBron James, who does not have the social impact or the influence of a LeBron James or a James Harden or a Kyrie Irving 
or any of those folks who play in the NBA. My suggestion to my community, to my brothers and sisters in the community is, hey man, let's go ahead. Let's get that vaccine. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports, rocking, rolling, doing what I need to do. Hello, konnichiwa, namaste, wassalam alaikum, shalom, what's happening, Kepasa. let's keep moving, let's keep grooving, let's keep improving, one, two, three, four, let me do it a little bit more, I got rhymes galore, let me take it to the floor, I'm talking about the dance floor, I'm talking about dance, romance, give me a chance, big fine woman gonna give me a chance to get down, like no clown, I'm the sex machine, like my name is Jane Brown, don't be leaving me girl, it'd be too upsetting, I need you in these arms of mine, like my name was Otis Redden, talk about sports, Talking about the NBA, that's what I say. The NFL, that could be just as well. Talking about college football, my Georgetown Hoyas. Speaking about Georgetown, getting down, ain't no clown. You know what I'm saying, no delaying. Let me keep it moving, let me keep it grooving. Let me talk about the Western Conference. Let me talk about LeBron. Let me talk about Kawhi. Why? Because I'm the man, Paul George, PG-13. You know what I mean? It ain't no dream. The Utah Jazz and all that jazz with all that pizzazz. Donovan Mitchell, Ting of the Strong, the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic. I'm running other things to rhyme with Jokic. So let me move to Jamal Murray. Let me tell you something. I'm in a hurry. I'm not going to be scurried by what's going to be happening right now. The Miami Heat, the Chicago Bulls, the Cleveland Cavs. All right, man, I'm done. Let me go ahead and speak about what's happening in the NBA. Quarter of the way through the season so far. Who are the favorites in the Eastern and the Western Conference? In the Eastern Conference, we got Philadelphia... Milwaukee, Indiana, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, 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 uh. I'm not going to go too much into the Brooklyn Nets. Not yet. Not yet. Maybe next podcast, but I've talked long enough. I've, the Brooklyn Nets is the, it's the gift that keeps on giving. So there will always be meat on the bone to speak about when you're speaking about the uh, Brooklyn Nets. In this soap opera, this week, the Brooklyn Nets are on vacation. They'll return next week as the KD, Kyrie, James Harden world turns. So as far as contenders in the Eastern Conference, number one, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Indiana, Brooklyn, Boston. I think the next tier down after that, you know, you know whatever's, whatever's. Cleveland, the Cleveland Cats, they're 99, even though Colin Sexton is showing a lot of promise, him and Darius Garland, but Sexton has made the biggest improvement. I don't know what the, exactly what they're going to do with uh, Andre Drummond now that Jared Allen is in the fold. But um, Bernie uh, J.B. Bickerstaff, Bernie Bickerstaff kid is doing very well. He's not a kid anymore, but J- Bernie Bickerstaff's son is uh, doing very well as the coach for that squad, J.B. Um, the Atlanta Hawks, 9-9. Nine and nine. 
Trey Young, man, I tell you, th- this guy, he's either going to shoot or he's going to pass for an assist. There, there is no hockey assist involving Trey Young. This guy is just about, I'm either going to uh, use that pick and roll at the uh, top of the key or a foul line extended or even about 35 feet out. I'm going to pull up from long range. I'm going to take it to the middle, draw some attention to kick for an assist, or I'm just going to shoot the ball. A lot of uh, usage rates or usage usage rates for Trey Young there, but you know John Collins is a pretty good player. Clint, uh, Clint Capella is uh, grabbing rebounds at a pretty tremendous rate, but right now the Hawks are are nine to nine. Lloyd Price oh, got to do a little bit better. The New York Knicks after a, a pretty good start there, eight and eleven. Tom Thibodeau. Um, let me see here. Uh, how about that? R.J. Barrett is leading the league in minutes, and a couple of spots behind him is Julius Randle. Julius Randle is playing well. But if you're the Knicks, and you're trying to formulate this team, or you're trying to grow this team, do you cash in on a Julius Randle the way he's playing right now and trade him to get younger? I mean, the the life expectancy in terms of Julius Randle the way he's playing right now it doesn't coincide with the rise of R.J. Barrett, who's, what, 20, 21 years old in the second year in the NBA. I know you need some building blocks, and I know you need some pieces. Mitchell Robinson is a piece to provide for a role player. I don't think he could be a guy who could be a number two or a number three on a team that's vying for a championship or being one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. Do you have that potentially in R.J. Barrett? Um, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know if he has the, the physical gifts to be that superstar that can that can carry a team. I don't know yet, but he's young. He's young. I think the jury is still out in terms of uh, what type of player eventually he's going to be. And having a coach like Thibodeau is going to get the best out of uh, RJ. At least we know that he'll be able to play some defense. No matter how long uh, Thibodeau lasts as the coach of the uh, New York Knicks, by the time that he leaves, whether it be in two years or 15 years, we know that all of those guys will have a newfound love, passion, and respect for playing defense and for playing hard every night. I don't think Thibodeau is the type of coach, though, that can uh, be with the team for, for 15 years and have the same group. It's, it's just a style. He, he comes from the same cloth as, say, a, a Scott Skiles type, where he's going to push you, he's going to get on you, he's going to motivate you, he's going to demand a lot of you. But after a while, man, that, that stuff kind of wears you out. Wears you out. So the NBA, you can't play like it's game seven of the championship 82 times a year. I don't, I don't care who you are. It just, it's just not humanly possible. I don't care what type of athlete are you, you are. I don't care what type of genetic and physical freak that you are. You, you can't play the way we expect NBA players to play, which is hard balls to the wall all the time. For 82 games, for 72, 72 games, or even 70 games. It's like, hey, man, if, if you give me maximum effort in an 82-game season, if you give me maximum effort out of 82 games 60 to 63 times, that's tremendous. That's outstanding. Thibodeau wants that 85 games out of 82. So we'll see what happens with the RJ. We'll see what he can do with projects like Kevin Knox, the former number one pick who... I think it's too early to give up on him. But what exactly is his role with the team? Emmanuel Quigley coming along fine. Um, as I mentioned before, Mitchell Robinson. We'll see. We'll see with the New York Knicks. But as of right now, they're not the same 
plateau. They're not on the same tier as a team like Milwaukee or Philadelphia or Boston. Two teams that are on this tier, I don't know what's going to happen with them. I'm surprised are the uh, Toronto Raptors and the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat are the defending Eastern Conference champions. What's going on? What's happening? Now, I know Jimmy Butler was injured, and I know that a lot of those players had COVID. But when you have a uh, coach like Eric Spolstra, they re-signed Gordon Dragic. I thought that he would be able to provide some type of uh, leadership in, in, in um, the uh, veteran that he was with the Young Bucks. Um, Bam, I thought Bam on the Bayou, I thought well, he was going to make another jump from being just a guy who's a solid all-star performer. I thought he was going to make that jump from that to being a guy who could break one of the uh, all-NBA teams. Hasn't happened yet. Tyler Hero, he's trying to learn a new position. They tried him out at point guard a little bit, but he's been he's been hot and cold. In fact, um, he hasn't replicated anything in terms of consistency and the promise that he showed in the bubble or even his first year in the NBA where Miami Heat executives and scouts were talking about this guy speaking about uh, Tyler Hero. He has a chance to become a better version of Devin Booker. So now we're speaking about not only was Hero mentioned in trade talks when the Miami Heat and the Houston Rockets were engaged in speaking about acquiring James Harden. Now we're starting to hear rumors if the Washington Wiz and Bradley Beal decide to part ways that Miami could be one of the teams that could offer not just Duncan Robinson, but Tyler Hero also. And I wonder if with those young guys, especially Hero, who's a first round pick, Duncan Robinson is a guy undrafted, this, that, and the other. So, you know, I don't I don't know if he has the ego enough to be like, man, y'all going to trade me like this? I'm the number one pick. I'm this, that, and the other. He doesn't have that gravitas or he doesn't have that uh, on his resume to be sitting up there going, damn, y'all going to treat me like this, huh? The Miami Heat did him a favor in terms of giving him a chance. So if they're speaking about moving on and having Duncan Robinson be part of a trade package that's going to get them a Bradley Beal or get them a Bill, uh, a Ben Simmons or get them that type of player, I don't think Duncan Robinson's going to be sitting around talking about, damn, I got screwed by the Miami Heat. If it wasn't for the Miami Heat, you wouldn't be in the league and you wouldn't be in the position to where sooner or later, no matter who you play with, you're going to be getting that generational wealth. So whatever the Miami Heat do to you in terms of your professional career is concerned, you owe them a great uh, debt of gratitude for that. Hero, on the other hand, I can maybe see the fact that it's like, man, y'all gonna, I did all this, 34 points, one of the MVPs of the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and not even eight months later, y'all looking to trade me? Y'all included me in trade talks? Ooh. And you know one thing, Pat Riley, he ain't about massaging egos. He's not about going to be coming down saying, oh, hey, Tyler, don't worry about it, buddy. No, no, man, you're part of this group. We love you, man. Keep your head up, chin up. You need a towel to wipe them tears? Come on, man. We love you, man. No, Pat Riley ain't any of this. Pat Riley ain't about that bullshit. Pat Riley's like, yeah, we tried to trade you, so fucking what? So fucking what? Put your pads on and we'll see you practice. So <laughs> it's a business, son. Sorry, grow up. And uh, put your big put your big boy pants on and uh, give it your heart, soul, your blood, sweat, and tears. So there you go. So it'll be interesting to see once the Miami Heat get everything together, along with the Toronto Raptors going through that transition. They lose Serge Ibaka. They learn. They lose. Um, they lose uh, Marcus Saul, Pascal Siakam. He's supposed to be taking that mantle. That's the go-to guy in Toronto. 
Even though Kyle Lowry is the heart and soul of that team, they gave that big contract to Fred Van Vliet. The the main guy I think they want to prop up there is Pascal Siakam. And as we saw in the series in the Eastern Conference semifinals in the bubble against the Boston Celtics, I don't think he's cut out for that. I think he was perfect at the role to play the Scottie Pippen to a Michael Jordan, to play the James Worthy to a Magic Johnson, to play the Chris Bosh to a LeBron James, to play the Anthony Davis to a LeBron James, that number two guy. I don't think that uh, Pascal just yet is ready for the number one spot on a team that's vying for a championship. I don't think he'll ever will be. I think that he would be an awesome number three guy. I mean, if we're speaking about putting together a quote-unquote super team, I mean, he would be the perfect number three guy. Um, Number two, I think he would be very good. Number one, not so much. But, you know, Toronto's, I mean, they're not even playing in their home country. They're playing down there in Tampa. And you're speaking about, yeah, man, a lot of those guys are Americans and, you know, the good old U.S. of A. and all those type of things. Um, Would you rather be spending six to eight months out of the year living in Tampa, Florida, or Toronto, Canada. I know about the strip joints. I know about the weather. I know about the no state tax in Florida and the city of Tampa. But, woo, man, Toronto is such a fantastic... I've never been to... Oh, I haven't, I haven't been to Toronto since I was a young lad, so we're talking a long time ago. But, man, if I'm those guys to be single... And to be living in a place like Toronto, whew, man, you know you know how many beautiful women are from the Toronto area? Grant Hill's uh, wife. Um, oh, I just so many, my name, so many, the, the, the brain just can't compute. But um, yeah, so that's a big adjustment for the Raptors to make the fact that they're not playing in Toronto. They're playing in Tampa. So all of the things are going into that but 7 and 11 right now and the heat are 6 and 12 not just yet ready to uh, go on the next level with those teams who so far this season in the eastern conference are going to be vying for that championship i don't even know if the indiana pacers are either i mean karis lavert the guy that they got in the trade he's not going to be available because of the uh, kidney ailment that he had so even with the uh, indiana pacers being one of the better teams record wise in the eastern conference I wouldn't put them up there with the Brooklyn Nets or the Philadelphia 76ers or when completely healthy and a little bit more attentive to defense, the Boston Celtics. I, I wouldn't put Indiana up there, but we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Demontis Sabonis is playing well, and we'll see. We'll see. So teams that were relevant so far, you've got Orlando, the Bulls, Charlotte, Detroit, my Washington Wizards. Ugh. So sad, so sad. Taking a look at the, and when you really pick the bones and when you really take a look at those teams, I think Charlotte, you've got um, the makings of something in terms of the mellow ball. Gordon Hayward has been pretty good. Detroit, dumpster fire. Chicago, I think those guys could be sellers with Zach Levine. I think his time might be expiring as his role, with his role, especially with a new regime in Chicago. Orlando, what are we going to do with Aaron Gordon? They've been looking to trade him for years. Uh, Nikola Vucevic has done well, but no one really notices. And the Wizards are just the Wizards. Mm. 
In the Western Conference here, speaking about what's happening in the NBA, Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, true contenders in the Western Conference, the Lakers, the um, Clippers, the Denver Nuggets, and the Utah Jazz. Should we be taking the Utah Jazz seriously as championship contenders? I know right now, look, they've won nine games in a row. They get, in a row they've got the best record in the Western Conference and the NBA. All that stuff is great. They've got themselves um, superstar in the making, almost there, about 15 more minutes in the oven before he's ready to become that superstar in Donovan Mitchell. But yet and still, worthy? Not James Worthy, but worthy? Speaking of James Worthy, worthy to be dealing or to be a serious threat to the Lakers? I know right now with the Jazz, it's like, yeah, okay, their superstar, their best player is Donovan Mitchell, Lakers' best player superstar is LeBron James. Hmm. Gee, who am I going to choose? Hmm. Second best player for the Jazz. Mike Connolly has been playing well this year. Hmm. Gobert, defense, always there. Looks like he's kind of calmed down a little bit on trying to beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the offensive end. He's, He's concentrating more on shot blocking, defense, rebounding, and such. Which is a plus. Joel Ingles, good uh, glue guy. Good jack-of-all-trades type of guy. Uh, good in a lot of things. Master in none. Royce O'Neal, defender. I'm trying to think, of who, who's that second guy for the Jazz? They got a strong bench. They got an awesome coach. But who is that guy? Who's going to be that second guy? Because when the playoffs start and your, your bench is um, you're not you're not playing eight to ten guys, or you're not playing ten guys decent minutes. The Jazz cut back to eight guys. I mean, I, I still remember. I mean, Bogdanovich not being there last year in the bubble hurt the Jazz, of course. But Mitchell was just, as far as offense is concerned, was just to do everything guy, and he's the one guy on that team. Maybe a little bit of Mike Conley, but Conley is more of a classic point guard type of guy who's looking for others and not trying to get his own buckets. But Mitchell was the only guy on that squad last year to where the shot clock's running down you need to get yourself a bucket. Mitchell was that guy. Jordan Clarkson goes off and on. I know that's his specialty. He's got the green light to go ahead and get buckets and, and shoot the shot, but he's not at that tier to where, you know, if we're going to be speaking about an important game, deciding game in the fourth quarter of a playoff game and the focus is going to be on Mitchell. And as I mentioned before, hey man, when you get to that point, everybody knows the plays, everybody knows the counters, everybody knows everything in terms of the sets that they run and stuff. So it's just going to be a matter of, can your guy beat my guy? Donovan Mitchell can. Who's the other guy on the team for the Utah Jazz that's going to be able to do that? Jordan Clarkston? I mean, he's the only guy who can get a shot off on a bounce who can create his own shot. He's, he runs hot and cold with that. I mean, he can go four for six from the three-point line in the fourth, and he can go 0 of 9 in the game from the three-point line. So the consistency isn't there for what you might need in being a number two scorer after Mitchell. As I mentioned before, Bogdanovich is a guy who can get some buckets, but he's best as a number three guy, a number four guy on a really championship squad. Connolly, point guard type, maybe he's your number two scorer. If that's going to be good enough to deal with LeBron and AD, 
two of the top six or seven players in the game right now. I guess AD maybe somewhere around six to 11 in the game right now. So am I looking at the Utah Jazz as being what the Atlanta Hawks were a couple of years ago when they had Millsap and Al Horford and Kyle Korver and Jeff Teague, a team that was really good in the regular season? Are we looking at the Western Conference version of the Milwaukee Bucks when we're speaking about the Utah Jazz? Great in the regular season because of their bench play, but when they get to the playoffs, are they going to be able to match up with teams that have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? If Paul George is not going to be playoff P, are they going to be able to match up against the Denver Nuggets with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and the possibility of uh, Michael Porter Jr.? Are they going to be able to match up in the uh, in a seven-game series again with the defending champions with LeBron and AD? We'll see. But right now, I love the way that they uh, move the basketball. Love the sets that uh, Snyder has. And uh, they're playing some really good basketball. They're playing some really good basketball. So give them their props. The next tier down in terms of the Western Conference here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The next tier down that we're speaking about, the Phoenix Suns, the Golden State Warriors, the Dallas Mavericks, the Portland Trailblazers, the Memphis Grizzlies, the San Antonio Spurs. That's the next... That's the next group. And it's an interesting group. The Warriors. Hmm. I don't know what you want me to say about this team. You watch them play the first couple of games of the season and you're like, this is going to be a long season. Then you see them play against the Lakers and the Clippers and you say, hmm, you know what? They might have a chance. Then you see them play some other games where they're not looking too good. And it's like, I don't know. And that's the thing that finally comes down to. I don't know anything about this team in terms of what's the key, what's going to be the key for the Warriors. You're not going to rely on James Wiseman. I think as a rookie, he played well, but now he's sitting on the bench. And his limit, minutes have been uh, limited and restricted. I know against the Minnesota Timberwolves, he played only 15 minutes of the game in which the uh, Warriors won by 25. So what are we doing here with Wiseman if you're Steve Kerr and those guys? Are we just kind of monitoring the minutes? Are we trying to monitor the expectations? But in monitoring the expectations, are you taking away something from the team? But then, of course, the argument could be, rightfully so, is that when Wiseman is not on the court, the Warriors are a better team. But if you're the Warriors and you're trying to make that move and trying to uh, uh, get the most out of Draymond and Steve and um, uh, Steph Curry, um, how much are you willing to sacrifice James Wiseman this season to make a run at the playoffs? And making a run at the playoffs, if it means getting beaten by the Lakers or the Clippers or the Nuggets at the expense of the maturation and the growing of talent and skill of a James Wiseman, was it really worth it? So I don't know about the Warriors, man. Of course they miss Clay. Kelly Oubre is finally now starting to find his shot. Andrew Wiggins, I told you Andrew Wiggins wasn't as bad as many people think Andrew Wiggins is because we always attach Andrew Wiggins to the second coming, number one draft pick. But as a service, he's serviceable. The role that he's having right now with the Warriors, serviceable. He's never going to be an all-star. He's never going to be a guy who's going to live up to those expectations. He's not even going to come close. But I think as a guy with a role the Golden State Warriors have for him, and the type of system, the type of coaching, the type of players, the type of organization. Yeah. Andrew Wiggins can be a, uh, I'm not going to use the word valuable, 
But Andrew Wiggins, I don't even know if I want to use the word important, but Andrew Wiggins could have value to what the Warriors are doing in terms of winning basketball games. So with the Warriors, I don't know. The Dallas Mavericks traded in offense for defense, but Josh Richardson so far is not giving the Dallas Dallas that defense, which uh, uh, the trade-off was. They had one of the best offenses in NBA history last season. And now they've, uh, you know, Steph, uh, Steph Curry's brother, Seth Curry, is now playing for the uh, 76ers. And uh, offensive-wise, not the same. Still waiting for Porzingis to round himself into shape after starting the season late because of knee, uh, knee surgery, knee injury. Luka, plateau, I don't know what the word plateau. I, I know he's out of shape. And I know he's shooting a lot of threes, but, hmm, didn't you expect a little bit more from him? I know a lot of people were because they were saying he's the preeminent favorite for the MVP, but so far, he's been good. There's been a couple of times where I've been watching Dallas Mavericks basketball games and, you know, the first, second, third quarter, the thought of, hmm, I should do a podcast and include Luka not uh, living up to expectations. Then in the fourth quarter, he scores 16, takes eight rebounds off the board, and has five assists. And I'm like, that's okay. Let's scratch that. That was my thinking near the beginning of the season when they played Denver, one of the TNT games. For three quarters, he was average. And I was like, you know what? I need to start thinking about my next podcast. If I'm speaking about the NBA and Luka Doncic, I'm going to be saying that, you know what? Hey, it's kind of been kind of disappointing this year. Then in the fourth quarter, he goes off, brings Dallas back, and they beat the uh, Nuggets in overtime. I think he scores like 38, and I'm like, okay, let's uh, scratch that. Uh, let's uh, put that away for another time. So Dallas is still working it out. Portland, a lot of injuries. Dalla Dame is uh, not playing as well as he did last season. McCullough's been hurt. Zach Collins still working his way through. Nurkic has been hurt. So, you know, with that, the Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant was injured a lot. Jaron Jackson was injured a lot. Scrappy team, don't think it's going anywhere. I think they would benefit from uh, having another lottery pick to continue to move that uh, move that needle up with the uh, building blocks that they have already with Morant and uh, Jackson. If he could stay healthy, that would be a good plus. But when he plays, Jaron Jackson Jr. is a, is a force to be reckoned with as far as potential is concerned. So if the Grizzlies miss the playoffs and get themselves a decent lottery pick in a draft that's supposed to be very good, I think it would be a positive for the Memphis Grizzlies. So if they start losing, if I'm a Memphis fan, I'm like, that's okay. That's fine. That's all right. It's all right. As long as uh, Ja keeps improving, you got Grayson Allen in there still doing his bullshit. Um, I think it's a team that uh, in the future could do some things. And then the San Antonio Spurs... Youngest team, I think they're the youngest team in the league, or one of the youngest team in the league. I don't know what they're going to do with the DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't know, especially Aldridge now, who's, what, 34 years old? Not the player that he was, especially now that the Spurs are trying to up the tempo, get up and down. Uh, Aldridge no longer has the ability to go from one end to the other to get on that left block and try to get that mismatch in early offense. So we'll see about that. And when you're speaking about teams that are irrelevant in the Western Conference, speaking about them here on Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast, Wendell Wallace being your host, that's me. You have the Sacramento Kings, you have the Minnesota Timberwolves, you have the New Orleans Pelicans, the Houston Rockets, and the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are 
irrelevant. Right now, players who are playing at an MVP level, LeBron, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, almost averaging a triple-double, Kevin Durant, the comeback continues, and Donovan Mitchell, the best player on the best team record-wise in the NBA. But I think the best player in the game right now is LeBron. 17th, 18th year, played every single game so far. He's averaging 28, uh, 25 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, shooting a career-best 41% from the three-point line, averaging almost seven threes a game. And I think one of the major things that people can say or people can write about or which goes into his MVP column as a yay is the fact that he came back after having the shortest offseason of any of any player except if you're playing on the Lakers or the Miami Heat, and he's still playing at a high level. Remember what we were talking about, or remember when I was talking about, hey, man, if the NBA is going to come back December 22nd, after they finish the uh, NBA Finals in, what, September? Or some nonsense like that? If I'm LeBron, it's like, okay, I'll be there for December 22nd to collect my ring. Okay, I'll be there for the um, All-Star game. Not All-Star game. I'll be there for the uh, Christmas Day game on December 25th. Then after that, you'll see me for the games on Martin Luther King's holiday. And then after that, I'll see you in March. Because uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to kick back. I'm going to... Uh, Hang out in L.A. I'm going to go ahead and go maybe go down to the beach in Miami. Uh, after the season that I had, after the work that I put in, after the team the team that we have right now, y'all don't need me for 72 games. So this season, just to uh, rest me and to get me ready for the playoffs and the possibility of him playing in the Olympics because he is a cyborg genetically. But yeah, I think for the most part, the early dog days of late January, February, and maybe a little bit of March. Yeah, take it easy. Have fun. I'll send you a postcard. I'll text you. I'll Zoom call you. But other than that, man, I need to take a break. And I thought the same thing was going to happen with Anthony Davis. But no. LeBron has picked up right where he's left off. And I think in the bubble, he proved that while Giannis, because of his regular season, deserved that MVP award, the best player in the game is still LeBron James and I think that he's motivated to win the MVP this season not only because he's playing these games even though his minutes are very low I think he's averaging only 32 minutes a game but uh, he's playing defense the first time in several years that he's played defense I know the last couple of years he didn't play any defense when he was in Cleveland and I think probably maybe possibly the first year that he was in Cleveland the second time around the second time around by Shalimar. James played a little defense, and then after that, he was like, screw it. And I know that first year with the Lakers, he played no defense. And we thought that uh, because of his age and the minutes and the responsibilities that he had on the offensive end, that you know him being a defender that was going to be a plus, those days are gone. That all of a sudden now he would be moving over to the non-scoring player maybe to help out on defense and such. But uh, his days of being a decent defensive player were going to be gone, age, mileage, and everything like that. But Nob, with him on the floor, the Lakers are a very good, one of the elite defensive teams in the NBA, thanks to the schemes of head coach um, head coach uh, uh, Frank Vogel and such. So I think he's motivated because of the fact that he came back not taking any time off after winning that championship, and the fact he's playing defense as hard as he's had, and the fact that he, had to, he doesn't have to play 36, 37 minutes a game also, I think, helps 
with the energy that he had to play defense and the fact that Dennis Schroeder had the ball in his hands a lot using pick and rolls, getting to the baskets, taking advantage of the mismatches when he gets hooked up to a big out on the perimeter. The fact that LeBron is not having to do so much handling the basketball with the responsibilities that he had in his years, especially his final years in Cleveland the second time around, I think that's also helping him devote some more time to the defensive end of the floor and let guys like Schroeder and Anthony Davis do more of their things on the offensive end. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's going down quarter of the way through in the NBA. Joel Embiid, we're speaking about NBA MVP candidates. He's got to be right up there. If it ain't LeBron, don't you have to say it's Embiid? Per NBA.com, he's averaging career highs and scoring, shooting efficiency across the board, 58.7% from mid-range, closer to the basket. He's shooting almost 70%, averaging 27 points, 11 rebounds per game. He's had two 40-point games in the last two weeks, 38.9 against Boston, 33.9 against the uh, Detroit Pistons. Okay, now we're not talking about the bad boys, Pistons, and Okay, we're not talking about the Bill Russell Celtics in terms of uh, folks in the middle. But, hey, against the Lakers on Wednesday night, NBA preview, possibly. 38 minutes, 28 points, 6 rebounds, and kept his cool after a flagrant foul by LeBron, in which LeBron should have been thrown out for that bullshit. He, uh, he, uh, Embiid went up. James, for a millisecond, thought that he was going to contest him. But then he said to himself, wait a minute, I'm 35 years old. I ain't 25, I ain't 23 anymore. What the fuck am I doing? So it was almost like that split second he stopped himself and with Embiid on him, just to kind of get him off him, he just instinctively pushed him while Embiid was still in the air and landed on his upper tailbone. <clears throat> so um, LeBron should have been thrown out of the game for that one, but yet and still, Philadelphia blew a big lead, Danny Green, um, not Danny Green, Tobias Harris, who's been playing some really good basketball with the uh, reun- being reunited with Doc Rivers, who got the best out of him when he was with the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, solidified Tobias Harris as being a, a key member of a team that could win a championship, or at least be in a championship. So Rivers needs to get a uh, soul clap and a high five for that one. Um, but Embiid has been fantastic. <clears throat> Excuse me. Embiid has been absolutely fantastic. And... Um, they need him because Ben Simmons, I don't know if you could say Ben Simmons has regressed, but Ben Simmons hasn't gotten any better. And I'm thinking thinking to myself, are we looking at a lesser version of Jason Kidd in terms of a poor man's big man version of Jason Kidd? A guy who can pass, a guy who can see the floor, a guy who can set up an offense, a guy who plays really good defense, but a guy who just can't shoot. Now, the difference is Jason Kidd's weakness, the ability, the inability to shoot the ball, he did other things so well, and the league wasn't geared toward the type of shooting and the emphasis on shooting that it is right now, that Jason Kidd had a much bigger impact of the game back then because the game is played in a different way. Now, if you can't shoot, man, you know, unless you're just unbelievable beyond belief in other areas of the game, your, your your impact, especially when the playoffs start, is greatly reduced. So with Ben Simmons, it, it's not even the fact that he, he can't shoot. It's the fact that he doesn't even 
think about shooting. Look, Giannis can't shoot the three. But yet and still, Giannis still takes the shot. Because even though he's very inconsistent and mechanical in taking that three-point shot, especially from the top of the key on the secondary break, at least the thought that he's going to shoot the three is going to give him some opening as small crevices that they are to go ahead and use his Euro step and use his spin move and to use his power dribble to get to the rim, get fouled, and um, go to the free throw line where he needs to start making more of his free throws. But with Ben Simmons, there is no... Ben Simmons doesn't even look at the basket when he's 17 feet away from the basket. He, he has now gotten to the reputation where players know that he's not going to be thinking about shooting. So they just don't guard him. And because he's such a poor free throw shooter and he doesn't want the ball in his hands late in the game, he's, his impact is even more neutralized. So for Embiid, that even makes a stronger case for him being one of the front runners for the MVP. Because yeah, Seth Curry has come in and provided some shooting. Danny Green has come in and provided some shooting. And Tobias Harris' game has been elevated. But as the world turns with the Philadelphia 76ers, it's all about Joel Embiid. And when you take a look at that record where the Sixers are 13-2 and when Embiid plays and 0-4 when he sits, yeah, just kind of let you know right there in terms of MVP, most valuable player. Is there anybody more valuable than that? Especially if you're taking a look at the front runners. LeBron has Anthony Davis. Embiid doesn't have anybody like that. His Anthony Davis should be Ben Simmons, but far, far from it. And I think the biggest improvement that I've seen from Embiid also is the fact that he stopped being this generation's Dwight Howard in terms of immaturity and just being a straight-off goof. He's playing with focus, maturity, positive purpose and focus on and off the court. No bullshit Twitter wars, no silly tweets, no getting and trying to get in the head of Andre Drummond and no barking and going back and forth with Russell Westbrook and all of this. No, 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 none of that bullshit. None of that bullshit. It's all about winning. It's all about performing. You have to uh, give another high five and a soul clap to uh, and a pound to uh, a, a black America's coach, black, the black community's head coach, Doc Rivers, for uh, bringing in that. I don't, I don't know what the conversation was like, but you get to a point in your career if you're MB that's kind of like, look, I've established myself as an elite player. I've done all these things as an individual. Okay, I made my rep in terms of players respect me, this, that, and the other. Now you're going to be graded. Now you're going to be criticized or praised on a whole different level. Now a guy who's going to be scoring 25 points and 11 rebounds per game, yeah, that's nice. But what are you doing as far as winning is concerned? Now when you first get into the league, 25 and 11, ooh, wow, ooh, wow, you know, make the All-Star game, ooh, wow, wow, you know, go ahead and uh, make a All-NBA team, ooh, wow, wow, that's great, but then again, once you kind of, once you kind of understand that, once everybody understands you've got that, then you have to take that next step, which is, okay, how are you going to translate into winning basketball games? How are you going to translate into getting us in the playoffs? How is that going to translate to your performances in the playoffs? And then after that, it's like, okay, you won yourself a championship. When are you going to win us another one? Damn, you won us a championship three or four years ago, but you haven't won another one. What's up with this? Now, all of a sudden, averaging 25 points a game and getting to the playoffs every year, all of a sudden now, that's like, a, who gives a fuck? That, what, what do you want, a cookie? 
What do you want, a handshake? What do you want, a prostitute off, off of uh, Tropicana Avenue near the Wild Wild West? Nah, man, we're done with all that nonsense. What else have you got for us? When are you going to start winning us some more championships? When are you going to be that guy? So I think Embiid now with his focus and the fact that he's, you know, seemed to be more focused on playing basketball and all the other ancillary things that took away from, you know, that, that stuff with his jokes and his press conferences and him coming into uh, camp out of shape and playing out of shape and all of this nonsense and making funny videos. I think all of that stuff now, he's gotten to the point where it's kind of like that, that bullshit is no longer part of the, uh, part of the package when it comes to Joel Embiid. And it's great to see because if that light ever turns on for Joel and he wants to dominate, like dominate, like he should, he could be, he should be the most dominant force in the game today. Not a couple of years from now, today. And when I say dominant, that also includes LeBron James. Wendell's World of Sports. <clears throat> I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, speaking about some stuff in the NBA. Kevin Durant, speaking about MVPs. Best injury? Uh, I, I guess you could say what? As far as his MVP is concerned, what's going to be his hook? What's going to be his narrative? What's going to be his uh, talking point? What's going to be his highlight? What's going to be his main focus? on the reason why he should be the MVP. I think what he's doing right now, I think this is the uh, best return from injury in professional team sports since Adrian Peterson came back from a torn ACL the season before he ran for uh, 2,097 yards, which is the second highest yardage uh, for rushing in NFL history. I think what Kevin Durant is doing, if he can continue what he's doing, I think only the Adrian Peterson comeback is more impressive over the last, I don't know how many years. Durant through 14 games, he's averaging 30 points a night. That would mark the second highest uh, points per game mark of his career, trailing only his MVP season of 2013-14. He's playing 36 minutes a night on average, which is the most since he won his MVP seven years ago. Now, okay, how much will playing with Harden and Kyrie take away from his legitimacy of being the MVP? Right? I mean, didn't we used to talk about that with LeBron? Oh, super team LeBron, huh? You couldn't win anything unless you got Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade on your side. Then when these guys age out and the expiration date of winning championships comes about, now you want to go back to Cleveland and, oh, look who's in Cleveland. Kyrie Irving. Surprise, surprise. Oh, you want to get another all-star and Kevin Love to join your team, huh? Oh, surprise, surprise. Then you go to the Lakers and you can't do anything with Brandon Ingram and Lamelo Ball and Alonzo uh, Ball and Kyle Kuzma. And Josh Hart and all those guys. Oh, now all of a sudden you want Anthony Davis. Oh, surprise, surprise. LeBron needs a championship. LeBron needs a, needs a superstar to win a championship. Surprise, surprise. Is that type of nonsense going to go with Kevin Durant? Oh, Mr. Kevin Durant couldn't win anything in Oklahoma City. Went to a stacked team in Golden State with Steph and Clay and Draymond. Wins a championship there. Oh, surprise, surprise. Then when that gets old, he goes to the Brooklyn Nets where... Who comes along with them? Oh, Kyrie Irving. And guess what? They'll go ahead and get James Harden. Oh, how about that? Surprise, surprise. Kevin Durant needs superstars to win championships. Hmm, how about that? Well, let me tell you something. Yeah. Winning a championship and winning an MVP. Did it hurt LeBron when he won the MVP in 2012? Playing with a still in his prime D-Wade and a very good uh, Chris Bosh? Or should I say, still a franchise guy in D-Wade and a perennial all-star in Chris Bosh? 
I don't think that having Harden and Kyrie on his team is going to be a detriment because Harden and Kyrie are going to be taking MVP votes. By the time Harden gets into shape and really starts to feel comfortable with his new surroundings and everything, that James Harden that we saw in Houston, that's not going to be the James Harden in Brooklyn. Now, the, the Nets want it to be close in terms of its impact, in terms of its brilliance. But right now, James Harden is A, trying to get himself trying to get himself in basketball shape. B, trying to figure out where he fits with the squad. C, I'm quite sure trying to, uh, you know, get used to his new surroundings. Not like he's been in Brooklyn for a while. So, you know, he's still living conditions and everything off the court. I'm quite sure he's still trying to get acclimated to that. So by the time I think he becomes fully comfortable, he's not going to have the impact to take away votes from Kevin Durant. I still think Harden is going to be very good. What I'm saying is I don't think Harden is going to be the guy that's going to be averaging 34 points per game on the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant. So in that regard, I don't think James Harden is going to have the impact to take away a lot of MVP votes in Kyrie. We don't even know if we can count on Kyrie. Hell, tomorrow Kyrie might decide that, you know what, he needs to take another two weeks off. So who knows what's going to be happening with Kyrie and, and, and playing with Kyrie. I mean, the fact that uh, you can keep your sanity playing with Kyrie should add a little bit of uh, impact, positive impact for Kevin Durant winning an MVP. Now, Kevin Durant is a guy who knows Kyrie, veteran. I mean, so his, um, Kyrie's, um, the word I'm looking for when we can talk about Kyrie, his uh, uniqueness, quirkiness, outside-the-boxness, I don't know, whatever you want to say. I don't think it'll affect Kevin Durant. It might have affected Kevin Durant, the guy who was in Oklahoma City, his third or fourth year in the league. But now, hey, man, it's all all good. So, yeah, I think that um, Kevin Durant is the guy. Also, take a look and see what he does moving on to uh, consider himself MVP material. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me take a look at some players who are disappointed. You know who's on the training block? <laughs> you know who's, like, the team is like, Ugh, I don't know about this kid. Lonzo Ball, the former number two pick of the 2017 draft, drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers. That same draft, the Lakers chose Lonzo over Jason Tatum. Oof. Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. Damn. And Bam Adebayo. Damn. New Orleans, the Pelicans, have opted not to extend his rookie contract this past offseason. And starting this past week of games, Ball is shooting 38% from the field, 29% from three, and seven attempts per game. And we're speaking about one of the teams that has been disappointing. We're pointing to the New Orleans Pelicans. You have a starting backcourt where your backcourt can't shoot. It's a problem. It's a problem. Brandon Ingram, been good. Been good. We got this new lineup now where we've got Brandon Ingram, but we've got um, Zion Williamson, can't shoot a three. Steven Adamson, Steve Adamson. Steven Adams, can't shoot a three. Lonzo Ball, can't shoot a three. Eric Bledsoe, can't shoot a three. Who, who, who in the hell on this team is going to space the floor? J.J. Redick, uh, Nikhil Walker coming off the bench. You got a starting backcourt where you can't shoot. 
None of these guys, Lonzo or Bledsoe, can shoot. So, so far, Lonzo's averaging 12 points, 4.5 assists a game, 3.5 rebounds per game. You, you thought if he couldn't score, he could be a little bit more Jason Kidd in terms of getting more assists and getting more rebounds. But the three-point shot has regressed after improving each season he's been in the league. He went for 30 percent his rookie year to 33 percent his sophomore year to 38 percent last season and as I mentioned before now he's at 29 percent and oh yeah by the way he's listed day-to-day with an ankle injury so how about that he he's injured again he's never been able to play an entire season his rookie year he only played 52 games because he had a sprained shoulder and a sprained MCL in his left knee and had knee contusion he played 47 games his second year because of ankle injuries and tore ligaments in an ankle that requires surgery, which shut him down in March. So, I mean, where, where are we looking at here? Lamelo is looking like he'll have more of a successful career between the two, and both Ball brothers can't shoot. You know, maybe, maybe, um, oh my goodness, what's his father's name? I know Lonzo, Lonzo, Lamelo, Lamar, Lavar. I'm so glad I forgot that name. Uh, LeVar, whoever, what, his father, the loudmouth, didn't teach those boys how to shoot. Guys can't shoot. Guys can't shoot from the outside. They played the Chino Hills where those guys were throwing up half-court shots and off-balance threes and fade away off-the-court triple-team threes to get to they get to the league. Those guys can't shoot. Man, so, you know, Lonzo, he, he, he's quickly fading into irrelevance as an NBA player. And this was the guy, Matthew Johnson, when they drafted him, was talking about, yeah, this is going to be the guy to lead us back to uh, the, uh, lead us back to greatness. I mean, maybe so, because he was part of the package that got, uh, he was the package that got uh, Anthony Davis, but geez, man, so far, underwhelming. I don't know. Is it okay to call him a bust yet? For where he was drafted? I'm not going to argue if you say yes. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Um, and another team, or the same team that Lonzo is on, the Pelicans are looking like doo-doo. And I'm not saying panic. I'm not saying trade. I'm not saying bust. But if I'm a Zion Williamson fan, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, little bit, little bit concerned. Slightly concerned. I've seen a career that might go the route of Blake Griffin. And what I mean by that, Blake Griffin, I don't think, Blake Griffin might have just turned 30. Do you know Blake Griffin, the guy who used to jump over cars and jump over seven-footers and throw down these tremendous, powerful dunks and all this kind of stuff, the power and everything? Do you realize that he's yet to record a single dunk this season? The guy who was the star of Lob City. Out there in the Netherlands, in Siberia, the NBA, Detroit. I know he's off the grid, so you're not following the day-to-day of uh, Blake Griffin. He hasn't recorded a single dunk this season. Now he's nothing more than a three-point shooter. Who can't get to the rim. Who can't finish. Who has zero explosiveness. Knee injuries will do that to you. When you have that type of bounce that Griffin had in a body that was 6'8", 240, no matter how strong, mean, and lean, and built that you are, 
Hey, man, you only have that explosiveness for a certain amount of time. So, look, Zion, hey, man, averaging 24 points. He's played all 15 games this season. He's averaging 33 minutes, 59% shooting, 7.5 rebounds. Everybody's saying, well, what's the big fucking deal? I mean, hey, Zion is the only player besides Kevin Garnett and Shaquille O'Neal that have multiple 30-point games while shooting 75% from the field before turning 21. Wendell, what the fuck are you talking about? How are you saying that you need to be concerned for Zion Williams? Where are you coming from? I'm taking a look at the areas for if your glass is half empty, concern. If your glass is half full, improvement. I've said this before and I've said this again. Yeah, Zion leads the NBA in two-point field goals, but he's only one for six from three-point shots. And the fact that he's getting so much of his points just by barreling through. Yeah, he's a genetic freak. Yeah, he's the most unique, physically impressive athlete that's coming to the NBA. When you're speaking about a guy who's listed at 6'7", 284 pounds, which really means he's closer to 6'5", 300 pounds than he is 6'7", 284 pounds. I mean, the way this guy plays, the way this guy uses his bounce and his explosiveness, how long is that going to be able to hold up if he doesn't have a jump shot? How long is that going to be able to hold up if he doesn't have a back-to-the-basket move? How long is that going to be able to hold up if he can't take some pressure off of the off of his knees? I mean, the way that he's playing now, young, healthy, this, that, and the other, yeah, that's good for four or five years. But this is the guy who's already had surgery on his knees. What is he going to look like when he's 28, 29? He'll look older. His hairline will be uh, it will not be the same. A few more wrinkles. A little bit, uh, you know, that thing. But how is he going to look as a basketball player? That should be the thing. The Pelicans have been three points better with him off the floor. Why? Because the motherfucker doesn't play any defense. I shouldn't call him that. That guy doesn't play any defense. He's underwater in his ratings. 108.6 offensively, 114 defensively. Damn. He always gets beaten and burned by ball watching and losing his man. I haven't seen him box out anybody yet. He doesn't attack the offensive glass like a Tasmanian devil. I don't know what's going on in terms of that. Look, Zion is supposed to be the next generation superstar. He's supposed to be the face of the league along with Luka and Giannis and a couple of more players yet to be determined. He's supposed to be my generation's Magic Johnson or the generation after mine's Michael Jordan or the generation after that Kobe Bryant or the generation after that LeBron James. He's supposed to be that guy along with Luka and Giannis to be battling for the younger generation's guy. Like, that's my guy. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, Magic was my guy. The next generation, when I was growing up playing ball, Jordan was my guy. I got the Air Jordans. I wore number 23. I got the baggy pants. I stuck my tongue out every time I did something. When Magic was my guy in the generation, everybody six foot seven and over wanted to throw no-look passes and uh, become a point guard. The generation's Kobe Bryant. You know, when I was I wore 24, I got that uh, mama mentality, and I shot every time I touched the basketball and throwing down dunks and everything. That, you know, LeBron James, 6'8", strong guy who wanted to uh, play on the perimeter. I mean, everybody has that uh, distinction. Everybody has that love for the player that they had to make them fall in love with the game. You know, the flair, the skill, everything like that. What's, what's Zion's? 
I mean, maybe if you're a big guy with a with leaping ability, instead of uh, the high school coaches persuading you to go out for the football team, you're like, no, nah, I'm good. Instead of being a defensive end, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to be a power forward on the basketball team. Maybe that'll be the deal. But what about Zion, other than his strength, his dunking, and all those type of things, is making, is turning heads, is separating him from being, that's my guy's generation. Luka is building that foundation. Giannis is building that foundation. They're so much far ahead. Now, look, Giannis is 26 years old. He's been in the NBA eight years. Understood. Luka starting his third year. He's been in the NBA for a while. This ever Understood. This is Zion's second season. I mean, hell, this guy should be going into his senior year at Duke. Understood, understood, understood. But, man, he's got to start doing something if he wants to live up to those wild expectations. His rookie year, he didn't make his debut until January 22nd, which was New Orleans' 45th game because of knee surgery, and he played just five times in the Orlando bubble, and he looked terrible. He looked injured. He looked slow. He looked fat. He looked out of shape. He looked disinterested. He looked confused. And the number of his rookie season, 22.5 points a game, 27 minutes per game, six rebounds, two assists, 58% field goal shooting, even showed a little touch from the three-point line, going six for 14 in 24 games. Earned a spot on the all-rookie team, but... Third year, second year, we need to start seeing some real development here. We need to start seeing what else you got in the tool bag. What did you work on during the summer? What did you work on in your offseason? I I was expecting to see Zion be more of a consistent shooter from 15 feet, not 21 feet. Not asking Zion to become a, um, not asking Zion to become a, uh, you know, a, a stretch four. Not asking him to become, uh, you know, a, a three-point shooter that's going to stretch the floor. Not asking him to do that at all. You know, Myers Leonard, we don't need him to be. Frank Kaminsky, we don't need him to be. But, gee, man, I mean, I, can we get a back-to-the-basket move? Right now, it's nothing but power. 24 points a game, everything is at the rim. And, you know, people can't deal with him right now because he's so big and strong. Having a little bit of trouble finishing over bigger guys, taller guys, which is one of the reasons why Van Gundy can't use him as a small ball center because of the fact that he just doesn't have the, the, the length. He has the girth, but not the length. But um, you need to start showing me. He doesn't, need, he doesn't need to start showing me anything. I'm not paying the checks. But, I mean, if you want to uh, go ahead and be that guy, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying he's not going to do it. I'm not saying any of that. But he needs to start uh, making some moves. Let me end with the Washington Wizards here on Wendell's World of Sports podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Save the worst for last, huh? No, that's what Georgetown Hoyas. I'll be speaking about them last. But, um, yeah, the Wizards, nothing more than a train wreck, 3-11. Wendell Bradley Beal say, enough, 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 enough. Get me out of here. You know, Bradley Beal, you know, the Wizards had lost the last 10 games in which Beal has scored 40 points. I can't make this stuff up. I even can't blame Ernie Grunfeld for this. I mean, we're still trying to clean up the mess that Ernie Grunfeld had, but, hmm, man. At the beginning of the season, no, they still can't play any defense. But they don't have anybody on that team that can play defense, including Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, the two guys that they're supposed to be building a team that's supposed to make the playoff around, Beal and Westbrook. So far, Westbrook has been beyond terrible. The Wizards are 1-8 when he plays. 
His game has reverted back to his low. 18-foot pull-up jump shots, not being able to finish at the rim, shooting three-pointers again. It's like, no, 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 no. And this is what was the deal. This is was the concern. What would Westbrook's game look like once his uber-athleticism started to diminish? Where he couldn't be that powerful force that he was when he was uh, doing his thing in Oklahoma City. Now we're seeing this. A guy who's an inconsistent jump shooter. A guy who's a very poor three-point shooter. A guy who is a below-average defender. And a guy now who has been inconsistent uh, as far as uh, playing is concerned because of injuries. Look, and I understand why the Wizards went ahead and did this move to trade for him, but geez, man, did you have to throw in, Tommy, did you have to throw in a first-round pick? Now, I know it's supposed to appease Bradley Beal, so Bradley Beal now is in a situation where it's kind of like, man, do I go ahead and ask for a trade because things aren't working when I was one of the guys who was responsible for this mess? Now, yeah, I didn't draft Troy Brown Jr., and I didn't draft uh, Denny Avia, who, I don't know if he's going to have any, I don't know what type of potential this guy's going to have. He looked like he could be a player, a rotation player, a pretty good player, a guy who might be the third option on a really good basketball team, potentially, but I don't know. We don't know yet. Too hard, too easy, too early to make those type of predictions, but um, hmm, if I'm Bradley Beal, man, it's like I'm the one who won at Westbrook. Now, am I going to bail on this sinking ship so I can go to the um, warm beaches of Miami? or to the glitz of L.A., or maybe to the Rocky Mountains of Denver, or maybe to the uh, brotherly love city of Philadelphia. I mean, I don't know. 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 So far, he hasn't said anything, but I don't know. It's got to be frustrating for for Beal to uh, go ahead. And he also has to think about, this is not going to be something where we have a down year and we're going to turn it around uh, very soon. But Witchers don't have, after this year's pick, the Wizards don't have control of their first-round pick for the next four or five years after this 2021 uh, NBA draft class. Now, hopefully they'll bottom out. They'll get the number one pick. They'll select Cade Cunningham, and everything will be hunky-dory. But it's a long build, man. It's a long build. And because Westbrook contract is so ominous and, and such an uh, albatross, I mean, they're not going to have any, like, cap space to go after somebody. And if you're any free agent of any status why would you come to this organization anyway i can understand why you would come to the city in the city in the area because when you're speaking about washington dc the silver spring metropolitan area the washington dc metropolitan area it's the best place to live best place to grow up best place to raise your children so from that standpoint especially if you're a uh, a black ball player i mean you've got the uh, naacp down here you've got a lot of black it's chocolate city baby even though it's become like milk chocolate vanilla in some places where, when I was growing up, it was like, wow, a lot of Negroes down here. But, uh, you know, D.C. still represents a lot of great opportunities for young black entrepreneurs. It's like, D.C. is like Atlanta wants to be. You know what I'm saying? Where the bougie blacks run down to Atlanta and talk about, yeah, I got my degree. And you know, they go down to Spelman, they go to Morehouse, they go to Morris Brown, and they get their degree from the HBCUs and all of a sudden now, these bougie blacks think that they own the place. D.C., baby, that's where it's at. Sorry, Atlanta. You guys are just pretenders. You guys are just copycatters. You guys are just imitators. We're the real deal. So it's like going to the uh, 
going to D.C., if you're a young ball player or a young guy of any type of uh, notoriety or any type of uh, having that type of public figure and you've got money, yeah, it's a great place to be. But because of the organization with the Wizards, because of the Westbrook contract, who are you going to attract? Because you still want to win basketball games. My Washington Wizards. You know what? Fuck the break. Let me keep going so I can get out of here. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Quickly, my Georgetown Hoyas are back in action this weekend, playing at home on Saturday against Providence. Hoyas were sidelined by an undisclosed number of um, a member of the team with COVID. Don't know who it is. Really don't care. I just hope that everyone there is healthy, rip-roaring, and ready to go. Georgetown didn't return to practice until two days ago. If those guys would have practiced 24 hours a day for the last 13 days, they would still be terrible. What are they going to look like after only having two days of practice? Turnovers are going to be high. The shot selection is going to be terrible. The defense is going to be horrendous. Can't wait. Can't wait. (laughs) In the same period of time that the Hoyas were quarantining themselves and keeping away from any type of practices, the team that they're playing, the Providence Friars, led by Ed Cooley and David Duke. No, not that David Duke, you son of a... Um, they've played five games and are coming off a big win at Marquette. Whew, this is not going to be good. So, since the Big East Conference reformed in 2013, do you know that Providence has won 11 of the past 14 games against G-Town? So this is not a Patrick Ewing's thing. This is the John Thompson the third thing. This is an everything thing. Cooley has our number. Even though we were very, we were very good last uh, season when we played Providence. But that's when we had Akinjo and McClung and LeBlanc and those guys. We went up to Providence to put a beat down on them, which got me all excited. And well, you know what happened after that. Um, so this is the first time since joining the Big East in the 1979-80 season that Georgetown sits in last place. At the halfway point of the season. Don't see that changing anytime soon. The fact that they now have finished their regular season series with St. John's. They still have to play the Paul. But uh, outside of that, they ain't beating Creighton. They ain't beating Xavier. They ain't beating Villanova. I don't know where the uh, wins are going to come from. Jeez, this is going to be... But again, I, I'm just interested to see improvement, improvement, improvement. And please, coach, come on, man. Let's go ahead and just um, use these guys. Use the freshmen, please, 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 like I'm James Brown. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I'm done. Game's about to start in Milwaukee and New Orleans, so I want to go ahead and uh, watch that game so I can see if all my stuff about Zion and Lonzo are correct. Watch these guys come out and score 50 points each. <laughs> Lonzo sucks. The guy's going to go like like 12 of 13 from the three-point line. Three point line. He's going to have like 52 points, 14 assists, and 11 rebounds. <laughs> what it, what's that about me sucking, Wendell? You sorry son of a bitch, you black. Okay, I'm out of here. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Remember, on a serious note, again, if you are in a relationship, if you're in an abusive relationship, a physically abusive relationship, again, Please, please, I am begging you, you do not 
need to continue to be in a relationship like that, please get some help. For God's sakes, if you're a mother, if you're a daughter, please think about them. And I know it's, I don't know, but I'm quite sure it's hard and I'm quite sure it's difficult. And if it was easy, you would have done it already. But please do what you need to do. If that means getting the help from family members, friends to make that call, please go ahead and do that. So if you are suffering any type of abuse, if your children are suffering any type of abuse, if you are in an abusive relationship, please call let me see. Please call the number. I'm trying to look at here one more time. Uh, do, 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 do. The number is um, 1-800-799-7233. In some of the websites, you can go to ncadv.org slash get help. You can go to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Um, the Family Violence Prevention and Service Act provides funding for the ongoing operation of a 24-hour national toll-free telephone hotline. Again, the hotline is an immediate link to life-saving help for victims. It provides information and assistance to adults and youth victims of family violence, domestic violence, dating violence, family and household members, and other persons such as domestic violence advocates, uh, government officials, law enforcement agencies, and the general public. The hotline can be assessed via the national, the nationwide number 1-800-799-7233 or 1-800-787-3224. The hotline provides services, referrals to agencies in all 50 states, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And again, persons can also contact the hotline through, the, through an email request from the hotline website, um, services are provided without regard to race, color, national origin, religion, gender, age, or disability. Assistance is available in English and Spanish with access to more than 170 languages through telephonic interpreter services. Please, please get some help if you need it. Be safe, be strong, be unified. Be loving, be caring, be smart, use common sense, be kind to each other, love one another, look after each other. Music. One, two, three, four. Of you crying Brother, brother, brother There's far too many Of you dying You know we've got to find a way To bring some love in 